Little piggy was the boogie woogie piggy and the boogie woogie all the way home. This little piggy had roast beef. This little piggy had none. But this little piggy was the boogie woogie piggy and he did the lindy all the way home. Piggy wiggy piggy. Boogie woogie boogie. With the oink, oink. This little piggy dug to be. This piggy thought the sauce was divine. But this little piggy was a happy little piggy and a boogie woogie all of the time. Thank you. 
until you break my heart you're never satisfied until the teardrops start i try to shower you with love and Dave Garraway here. Before I introduce the boys in the back room, let us check in briefly at the bandstand of the Knickerbocker House, one of Manhattan's brighter nightclubs. We were afraid a little earlier that this remote would be canceled on us. Seems there was some difficulty in the club's parking lot. The fender was scratched on a car owned by a prominent businessman in town. And we're gonna turn Dave Garraway down, which is a crying shame. Hi everybody, it is Saturday night, June the 12th, here at 2010. I'm Wong Hughes, and on the other line, my co-host, Patricia. Hello, everybody, and happy Saturday. We have a great guest tonight. We are talking with Dennis Hart, who is author of the, I'll say this correctly, the second edition, revised and expanded, of Monitor, uh, and it is described as the inside story of network radio's greatest program. I have to tell you folks, after I finished Dennis's book, I have to agree with him. It was a staggering accomplishment, and we're going to be talking about it. The NBC program monitor began with weekends that consisted of 40 consecutive hours of broadcasting every single weekend for, I guess it was about six months, Dennis, is that correct, before yes, they, they started changing? That's right, Patricia. Uh, it was 40 hours, and then at the end of that uh, first half year that they were on the air, and it debuted, by the way, we should say, 55 years ago tonight, June 12, 1955. Is tonight the anniversary? Tonight is it. It was a Sunday afternoon. It debuted at 8 p.m., or rather 4 p.m. Eastern Time uh, in New York, went until midnight, and then the following weekend went for 40 hours, and then after that, for the next few years, it was 32 hours, 8 a.m. to midnight, Saturday and Sunday. Really, as you say, an incredible achievement every week for NBC. Incredible achievement. I, I think they probably cut back the hours because half of their, their people died. I It was incredible. It was such an audacious idea. No one, of course, as you know, had ever done anything like that, anywhere close to anything like that. That's what made it so remarkable. It is remarkable. I want people to know a little bit about you first, Dennis, and then we can talk about... The, the book, the station, the, the program, how you got into it. Can we do that? Sure, absolutely. Oh. Okay, obviously Dennis is an author. Uh, he is, a, I would guess, the supreme authority now on <laughs> Monitor, the, the radio show. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. Well, I, I have to say, after I read this book, I would be intimidated if I took a class on Monitor <laughs> before mm -hmm. the teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, as a part-time 
a profession. Dennis does teach mass communications and journalism at California State University and uh, spent how many years in broadcasting so far? Well, let's see. I have 35 years in broadcasting, Patricia, and I've been teaching uh, at a couple of universities for several years and uh, started out uh, in, in radio uh, because of Monitor. In fact, I'm in broadcasting because of Monitor, uh, as I think I may have uh, indicated in the book. I started listening to it uh, in the early 1960s on KMJ Radio in Fresno, California, and here I am in the year 2010, a reporter and anchor at KMJ Radio in Fresno, California. That's in between a lot of other places around the country, but this is somehow uh, it's uh, it's a satisfying way to uh, uh, be in a later part of a career is to be on the station I first heard Monitor at. Back into radio. Yep, Good. I love radio. And Monitor got me into radio. Monitor was the most exciting thing I'd ever heard in radio, and probably the most exciting thing that anybody who grew up in the 1950s or 60s ever heard on radio, quite frankly. Now, Dennis, I have to tell you, and I mentioned this to Walden just before you and I got on the phone, that one of my incredible disappointments is that I didn't know the show existed until, of course, I read your book and uh, discovered how much went on and how much the show offered to its audiences. Now, I'm hopping ahead of myself a little bit, but you mentioned growing up with this show. Yes. Tell me a little bit about uh, how you found the show, what impressed you about it, why did you stay with it, why didn't you do your homework? <laughs> well, I was a typical kid growing up in the uh, 50s and 60s. I loved rock radio and all of this. And then, and I remember this perfectly. It was one Saturday morning. I'm flipping around the dot about 8 o'clock in the morning out here in California. And I hear this show that just sounds different from anything I'd ever heard. First of all, it sounded like it wasn't a local show because I, the host of the show was uh, a guy by the name of David Wayne. And I knew David Wayne as a, as a movie star and as an actor, and I said, now what's this all about? And it had this strange sound, which I later came to know as the monitor beacon, which introduced it. And, it and he said it was coming from Radio Central in New York City, and that sounded like the biggest and best radio studio in the world, which it was. And I just became fascinated. I was always a radio guy. I loved radio. But I said, what in the world is this thing called Monitor? And so I started listening, and this was, again, 1962, started listening. I could hear Monitor. I was a, I was a big DXer. I, I used to, at night, uh, try to find other frequencies, other radio stations. The signals come in much better at night than they do during the day from distances. And I could hear the same show uh, on KNBC Radio in San Francisco. I could hear it on KFI in Los Angeles. I could hear it on KOGO in San Diego. I could hear it on KOA in Denver. All those signals came into us here in California. KOB in Albuquerque, a very big show. Started doing a little bit of research, calling the radio station. What is this show? Found out it's called. It was called Monitor. And when I listened to it, I was absolutely, instantaneously attracted to it because it was unlike anything I had ever heard in my life. It was smart. It was informative. It was funny. It was. It took you everywhere in the world where anything was going on. It was just a fascinating listen, which obviously millions of other people thought the same thing because the broadcast was on the air for 20 years. It became the most successful and I think single most important broadcast in the history of network radio. Now, what I had written down here, and I probably missed some things, within this 40 hours or uh, slightly fewer uh, as it started to unfold over the years, you had news, comedy, drama, commentary, remotes, which are just blew me away. Music, politics, world affairs, news pickups, interviews, weather, on-site reporting around the world. This makes my brain hurt. 
Yeah, Monitor's slogan was going places and doing things, and it did, literally. That was the brilliance of the format that Pat Weaver had put together, the great president of NBC Radio and Television, in that he, he knew, uh, Patricia, that you know traditional network radio was dead, dying, going away. People were no longer going to sit down for 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, and listen to the traditional comedy, drama, variety, mystery shows they had grown up with during the Depression and during the war because television was killing the audience for radio. It was just making it impossible for people to, uh, they were not willing to, to stay for an entire hour or half an hour for a broadcast. And he came up with this audacious format, this continuous broadcast from 8 a.m. Saturday morning until midnight Sunday, a continuous flow where every hour would be almost formless and seamless. It would be hosted by big-name people who people knew, television people or big-name radio people, but it would have everything under the sun in that hour. It would have news, sports, comedy, variety, as you say. It would have remote pickups from anywhere in the world. Anything that was interesting or important that was going on in the United States or anywhere in the world, Monitor would go to. And it could do it because unlike television, which didn't have the capability of going live anywhere because that it hadn't been invented yet in the 1950s or 60s, Monitor, with a phone call, uh, could go anywhere instantaneously. And they did. And that's what made the format so brilliant because you could tune in any time during the hour, at 17 after the hour, at 34 after the hour, and not have missed anything. Unlike a traditional show that started at a half an hour or an hour uh, in the old days of network radio, and if you missed the first few minutes, you weren't going to listen because you didn't know what the plot was. There was no plot here. It was anything that was going on in the world that was interesting or informative or entertaining. So you could tune in at any time, and boom, you'd be in, you'd be in uh, Paris. Boom, you'd be in Washington. Boom, you'd be in San Francisco. Or there'd be a comedy routine from big-name comedians who were at Radio Central. Or there'd be sports, or there'd be weather from Miss Monitor, who's, I understand, going to join us tonight. Uh, and I'm it, looking forward to that. And she's delightful, by the way. Teddy Thurman is absolutely delightful. The audaciousness of this thing was it took you anywhere and everywhere. You could tune in at anywhere, anywhere you were in your car, a radio on the beach, at home. You hadn't missed anything. You were about to hear everything. That was the brilliance of the format, and it was wildly, wildly successful. Now, we're talking about a concept here with Pat Weaver that he put this together and yes. said, this is going to rescue radio. It's going to rescue NBC. Yes. What research or background information did he have that made him think he could make this work? Well, first of all, you have to understand that Pat Weaver probably was the most brilliant programmer broadcasting has ever seen, then or now. This was a guy who always thought out of the box. He had a brilliant background. He had been born in California, gone to an Eastern University, had been a, an advertising manager with Young and Rubicam, had produced radio shows. He's the same guy, Sylvester L. Pat Weaver. Yes, he's the father of Sigourney Weaver. Everybody knows Sigourney Weaver. He was the guy who came up with the concept of the Today Show and put it on the air in 1952. He created the Tonight Show in 1954. He created the Home Show. He created the whole concept of spectaculars. He revolutionized broadcasting in television and radio. But what he knew was, what he knew was that old-time radio was dead. It would never come back again just because television had stricken the audience, had taken the audience away from the traditional network radio format. His thought was. And it was brilliant in its, in its simplicity and hard to put on the air. If we give people something different every few minutes, if we give them something that is of interest 
of importance, entertaining. They will listen to us throughout the day and not just in a short period of time because they'll never know what's coming up because it'll be exciting for them. We're going to make this sound like the biggest show in the world, and it was the biggest show in the world. And people will tune in because of its very formlessness, if you will. That was his brilliance that he thought out of the box, and nobody had ever thought of that before because they were all locked into the 15-minute, half-hour, hour-long things that had been so successful for NBC and CBS Radio from 1926 into the mid-50s because there was no television. But television stole all their formats. Television put pictures to radio, and a lot of folks don't know that, as you know, Patricia, that virtually everything on television today was on network radio 50 years ago. They originated all the formats. But what television did was take the audience away because now you had pictures. He had to come up with something that was radically different and that television couldn't do. That was the key. Television could never take you to the scene of events. They didn't have the capability to do so. He thought the excitement of going from place to place would generate an audience. It did. Now, could we start or, or just take a step backward here? Tell me specifically some of the things that went on on the show in, for example, the remotes. Where were you getting remotes from? Okay, well, or, let I me, keep saying you, you like this is your yeah, program. Well, yeah, let me, just, let me just go over, if I can, briefly, one particular weekend. Please, there were a thousand weekends. But one weekend of Monitor in the, in the summer of 1955, just a few months after the show went on the air, okay? This was a typical weekend, by the way. Uh, this was in September. Uh, on Saturday now, again, the show's on from 8 a.m. until midnight. The remotes included a couple from the Pentagon Communications Center in Washington. They were doing something on how the Pentagon communicated with its forces around the world. A live remote from an amusement park ride. Now, that was the beautiful thing about Monitor. Interesting or important, okay? And they could go live anywhere in the country via telephone, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They went to uh, an automation show in Chicago live from a boat party in Myrtle Beach. This is all on a Saturday. From an elephant party in San Francisco, who wouldn't want to listen to an elephant party? I have, I've never been to an elephant party in San Francisco. <laughs> they went live from the Green Cheese Festival in Monroe, Wisconsin, from several horse races. They went live a, several times to a golf tournament, a professional golf tournament, and the National Singles Tennis Tournament. They also had, this is still Saturday, live reports on sea lions, marlin fishing, a live report from the Kansas City Zoo, live remote from the Grand Ole Opry, uh... This was just a slice of what they did during the day. Now, they also had guests at Radio Central and on tape. Always Monitor had big-name people as guests that, uh, on the weekend. That particular day, one day, September 10, 1955, their guests included Frank Sinatra, Perry Como, Pearl Bailey, Mary Martin, Steve Allen, Lena Horne, Dick Powell, Sammy Kahn, Jimmy Van Heusen. One day on Monitor. Okay, Next day... Don't want to bore anybody with this, but this is kind of exciting stuff. They had live remotes from a circus, the Barnum and Bailey Circus, that golf tournament I was talking about, an army language school in San Francisco, a dog show, a square dance, a polar laboratory in Cleveland, a training class for paraplegics in Walter Reed Hospital, a Chinese opera house, a shrimp fleet, and a reenactment of the Fort McHenry bombardment. All that in one day on Sunday, the following Sunday. And their guests that day, Helen Hayes, Gene Kelly, Esther Williams, Lionel Barrymore, Perry Como, Frank Duvall, Pee Wee Irwin, and a snake charmer from India. <laughs> All of that in one weekend on Monitor, and that was just a slice of it. Well, if anybody wonders why my brain hurt, 
Now, now you've helped them understand. <laughs> but see, the beauty of that was you'd be tuning in wherever you were in the country, in Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Detroit, driving along. You'd hear one of these remotes, live report from the Kansas City Zoo on something going on, an elephant party in San Francisco. You'd be saying, what in the heck's that all about? That sounds kind of interesting. Then up comes a Frank Sinatra, then up comes a Steve Allen, then up comes a Perry Como as a guest or something like this. Then you've got sports. Then you've got – now remember, this this isn't all of what Monitor had. They had Miss Monitor doing weather every uh, every half hour in a way that had never, had never been done before, and she'll explain that. Uh, they had live band remotes uh, throughout – doing ad-lib comedy routines. Uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May were there. It was incredible. Just all of this in one show. All of this in one show. If that doesn't sound exciting, I'm not sure what exciting is. <laughs> this is panic stuff. This is really panic attack. Uh, I, it's just incredible. Now, you talked about ad-libbing with Bob and Ray. You yes. talked about a seamless presentation. Yes. Uh, one, one segment or portion or spot slid right into another. Right. No bumps, no jarring, no nothing along the way. Was there a format that was uh, created, and how much ad-libbing or freewheeling was permitted within that format? Well, the format was a general format. They started, they would start with news on the hour, monitor news on the hour for four or five minutes, okay? And then you'd come back, and the program would start. Now, it could start anywhere from any place with anybody. They had big-name hosts. The host would be there in the early days for four-hour stints, all right? And in the early days, the, the host from 55 until about 60, Frank Blair and Don Russell would host Saturday morning monitor from about 8 until noon, Hugh Downs. Uh, whom we all remember uh, from Concentration and, of course, from 2020 on ABC. He was a host for years on Monitor. He was Saturday afternoon. David Brinkley was a host uh, on Saturday afternoons. Uh, they would come in, and they'd be sitting in this massive studio called Radio Central, the biggest broadcast studio in the world at the time, the fifth floor of the RCA building. Uh, and they had an immense number of engineers and producers and directors telling them, okay, in this hour, here's what we've got coming up. We'll have this live remote. Now, they had a script. There was a written script, which could always be and often was thrown away if something were happening, if something more interesting took place. But they'd start out with a little bit of uh, music. They'd go to a remote. They'd go to a report on something, have another report somewhere else, cut away for a minute or two for local stations to have a commercial, come back with an interview with somebody who was at Radio Central, a big-name star, a sports figure, who knew what it was. Miss Monitor would come on with weather. Uh, they would cut away at the bottom of the hour, at 30 after the hour, an optional cutaway for local stations to put in their news if they wanted to, or monitor would continue programming. Uh, and then come back at 35 after the hour with the beacon, which meant all stations had to be back up again uh, on the line, on the network line, and here we went again. Uh, it could be an interview, it could be a remote, it could be a report on something. Bottom line was that they'd have a format, and they'd start out with a script, and by the way, I have, the, I have the script of the first weekend of Monitor, the first Saturday of Monitor, uh, first full Saturday in 1955. Patricia, the script is about 500 pages long. And this is the... First the Saturday. This is, this is the... First Saturday. Now, the first Saturday... <laughs> the script is 500 pages long with all kinds of remotes, but they didn't follow it because when there was breaking news or breaking things, they just break away. The producer would say, let's go here instead. Well, I think we I think we can uh, talk to somebody who worked on the show, Dennis. Let's 
Let's do it. And you want to introduce our special guest here? Well, I, I bet we have on the line right now, to my great delight, Teddy Thurman. Teddy, are you there? I'm right here. Teddy Thurman, everybody. Uh, I'm here, you there. Knows as Miss Monitor, the sexiest, sultriest person who's ever given a weather forecast in the history. I can't, I can't believe you went right there with us because your books are such perfect descriptions of the whole show and everything that went on. It, it just seemed to me you had to be there. <laughs> Well, Teddy, we are so happy to have you. And Patricia, Teddy Thurman, I have to tell you, I have met Teddy, uh, interviewed her, of course, for the book, is an absolutely delightful person. We're just so happy to have you here on this Saturday night, Teddy. I am so happy to be here. Hello, and, Teddy. Uh, this is Patricia. I am the lucky person who gets to talk with everybody tonight, so I am just delighted to be able to meet you and talk with you. <laughs> Thanks so much. I, I'm it's going really to... a pleasure for me. It's delightful. Uh, it's a, it's a... I loved every minute of the show. It was like a, it was like a wonderful, beautiful act that I was lucky enough to be doing, and it was accompanied by beautiful romantic music. Teddy, well, can, I know Patricia wants to ask you a ton of questions, but I got to ask you. Let me, if I may, ask you the first question. How did you get started? How did you get on Monitor? What had you done, and how had you? How did you get on the show? Well, I knew a producer that uh, I just knew him as a friend, and um, he just got the idea. It was Pat Weaver's idea, like he's the one who thought of the Today Show, Tonight Show. He thought of all those shows, and he thought of me, too. So um, I worked with this producer uh, doing tapes and making them uh, come alive there. And uh, after a few months, it was set when we were ready to go. And everything in Monitor was ready to go at that time. It was such a thrill to be on that show because it was like the whole world opened up. Eddie, how did it come to be? Now, uh, for those people who have never who had the misfortune of not hearing Monitor, and you know, you're you're on the website, the MonitorBeacon.net website uh, has a lot of your audio uh, on it. But how did you come? How did they come to the format where you were going to give the weather forecast? in this low, sultry voice with this music in the background, this sexy music, <laughs> yes. came up with that idea. That, that idea was wonderful. It became actually a romantic uh, type of act, actually, but it was the factual weather in that case. Uh, I read the actual weather reports with the music going behind me, and then it would swell up after I'd uh, finished it. So... Uh, it was, it was just a great idea, and I, I was lucky enough to be able to do it. How many times uh, were you on the show during the course of a typical weekend? How often would you appear on Monitor? Well, it, it started out with I'd be there on uh, the a weekend from Friday night through Sunday night, and then it worked into from Saturday morning to Sunday night, and I'd be on every <coughs> pardon me every hour so to. Almost every hour, you see, except for t uh, breaks, when I take off and uh, take breaks, you know. So, uh, anyhow, it was just a wonderful, wonderful show and a wonderful thing to be on. Teddy, did I understand correctly when I read that you actually scouted up all of the weather information before you broadcast it? And, and uh, the, on the radio, I did, on monitor. I, I would call the... Uh, <clears throat> Pardon me. The Weather Bureau in Washington, D.C., they furnished the weather for me. But nobody did this for you. You had to do it for yourself. 
so when you say you showed up every hour on the air, it was a lot more than reading some material from a piece of paper. Well, I, I'd call them every hour and get the changes. So it, it did, and I'd get different cities, too. Each time I would take different cities. And did you choose the cities? Yes. How did you do that? <laughs> I tried to make them amusing. How did no, you choose they the had one thing that they thought for me to do, and I did, is as I was born in Georgia, they had me open every broadcast with, in Atlanta. So that, that was the first city given. But then I could go on for, uh, forever with a lot of different ones. And it would be fun to do because I could pick, the, pick them and pick uh, some that are amusing and some that are very important. And uh, it was uh, that way. Now, for the for those of us, for those people who again never got a chance to listen to you, Teddy, would you do? And you have to imagine everybody this this lush music underneath her as she comes on. Teddy, would you do a forecast in your Miss Monitor voice, the way you used to do it on Monitor? <laughs> in Atlanta, the temperature is seventy-four, partly cloudy, and in Tennessee, Memphis, it's forty-eight and partly cloudy. Uh, but I miss the music. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Dennis, you're hitting all of the spots that I, I was hopeful that um, Teddy would talk about. Now, you know what, Patricia, the, the impact of Teddy on Monitor was so great. And, Teddy, you can talk about this because it, it extends to this day. Teddy literally became, in the course of that broadcast, probably the most famous voice in America because everybody – Everybody knew Miss Monitor, and nobody knew who you know who she really was. <laughs> Miss Monitor. Yeah. NBC sent out these wonderful pictures of her on promotion. But but Teddy, I mean, talk about the impact. People would come up to you and they recognize your voice, and they still do to this day. Talk about that one. Um, which, which thing are you asking me now? What 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 was that question? Now talk about how people got to recognize your voice and how famous your voice became. Well, because I had a lot of publicity. They had intended for me to be a secret, but the publicity department did a lot of work, and there was a lot of work, a lot of pictures in the papers, and um, really good papers like the New York Times. It, it just was great, great publicity they did, and uh, I think that uh, I could describe that, but it's, it's uh, the, um, I guess that's enough of that. I really have describe that as much as I should. And now, Teddy, you were also, when you were on Monitor, you were on the Jack Parr show, the Jack Parr Tonight Show. Talk about how you did, uh, what you did there and how you tied that in with Monitor. Well, that, I had a writer there that was really brilliant, That uh, so I didn't write any of that, because it turned into a comedy act, actually, a sexy comedy act. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, and I would have nice costumes, uh, sexy clothes, the glamorous clothes, and uh, wonderful lines he would write for me. And he would always write, at the end, I'd say, like, in New York, it's 74. <laughs> me, I'm 36, 26, 36. <laughs> Teddy, what, what did Henry Morgan do to you? <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, he was funny. He set my script on fire from the bottom up, so I didn't have a choice of anything except making up the weather myself. 
And I was wishing that Bob and Ray, those wonderful comedians, were in there at the time because they would have made a real story out of that. I worked with them a lot. I'm sure that people heard this. He actually set your script on fire. Yes. (laughs) And it went up in flames, and so you had nothing to read from. No, that's right. And it would be a choice of making a joke of it, which I could have, but I didn't. I just made up the temperature as far as I could, as long as I could, until the time to stop. This is great. Tell me what your studio, the portion that you broadcast from, what was it like? What kind of an environment was it? Oh, it was beautiful. It was all glass. The studios um, that covered the whole end of the floor in BC. And there was a huge glass room where the commentators sat. And on the side, there were uh, two studios where I sat. And once Henry Morgan and Bob and Ray, and uh, on the other side, uh, guest, guest would be, oh my goodness, there's an earthquake. Oh dear. Are you having an earthquake in Southern California? Uh, It's bad. Oh my God. We can hear it. Did you hear it? We can hear it. Yep, I'm queuing something up. So that's, let me pray for the audience. It might be a little, little bit for you guys to hear it a little hard, but for the audience, they're going to hear a little bit of a teddy. So here we go. Okay. In Atlanta, the temperature is 79, partly cloudy. Spokane, 68, cloudy. Milwaukee, 68, fog. Baltimore, 80, thunderstorms. San Diego, 72, partly cloudy. Winston-Salem, 80, cloudy. Detroit, 72, rain. Akron, 71, thunderstorms. Newark, 73, cloudy. Las Vegas, 97, very warm. And so much cooler when you shave with Barbasol. <laughs> Barbasol. Yes, man, Barbasol makes your face look and feel. Ah, uh, there we go. A little bit of Teddy Thurman, everybody. <laughs> Are you still with us, Teddy? Yes, I'm here. You just, went, you just went through an earthquake in Southern California, didn't you? I certainly did. Could you hear any of it? I could. No. Nope. I'm moving the building. Are you all right? Has anything uh, fallen down? No, everything's been still where it was. That's good. <laughs> I have to tell you that if I were a man listening to that weather report, I wouldn't care if you predicted a blizzard. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. My goodness, that was great. That's really good. <laughs> what a wonderful peak that is. You described your spots as purring like a kitty, purring the weather report. Yes. <laughs> a description. Now I have something to relate it to. What a perfect description. Well, yes. I love that description, actually, because I love little purring kittens, too. Yes, well, it's it's your description, so I guess (laughs) it really fits. I didn't mean to give you an earthquake, though. I didn't expect to do that. Oh, my goodness. um, if, If you just said your lines, you would have created an earthquake. Tell me... The, the most memorable moment for you, either a show or a happening, and we'll cross Henry Morgan off the list for this one. Oh, yes. Oh, I did uh, most memorable. Well, I can't give it to you right this minute, but I just 
studies that Dennis Hart wrote two books that described everything. <laughs> that's the best that could be done. And I, I really couldn't believe he wasn't there. But he was too young to test to be there. Teddy, uh, let me ask you a question. Of all the people you worked with, and you've talked about Bob and Ray and Henry Morgan, you've also worked with Dave Garraway and Hugh Downs and Frank, but who was your favorite communicator, the favorite person you worked with on Monitor, or was there one favorite person? Well, I really like most of them. Um, I like Dave Garraway a lot, Hugh Downs. I was with them every Sunday night, uh, so I remember them the most. And uh, I was with David Brinkley. Um, I am a good reporters were there. Is there someone who was difficult to work with? Um, I think. <laughs> I, I don't think so because it was also well laid out. It was, uh, everybody knew exactly what to do. How exciting was it to be working on Monitor at that time, Teddy? Was it really as exciting a thing as you've ever done in your life? Yes, I think so. You know, the, being in a glass studio like it was, the crowds of the tours would be there, and the tour guides would bring them by then. And, uh, and that, of course, I love that romantic music. That just made it right for me. And uh, it just was exciting the whole time. And many, many guests. I think every, every celebrity was on that show. Sounds like it. Teddy, uh, just one more question, unless you would like us to keep on going here. You came out of, uh, moved from one career to monitor. You came from a highly visible role as a model. Um, you were on magazine covers. You were a model inside magazine photography. This was highly visible, but nobody ever heard you speak. You went to monitor. Everybody heard you speak, but nobody saw you. It is funny, isn't it, that I went from one to the other. Was that a difficult transition for you? Yes, well, it could be seen but not heard, and it could be heard and not seen. But until I got on tonight's show. Was, was, it, was it a difficult transition for you to make, going from one world to another? No, I just felt right. It was very good. You were Everybody there was good to work with. All the people on the show were good. And there were exciting people like the, the guests we had were so exciting. And everybody knew what they were doing, so it was so well run. It was just good. Teddy, did you sleep at all during those weekends when you were on the air every hour? <laughs> yes, I was on, um, we stopped at 12 midnight. We stopped at midnight. Okay, all right, so you weren't, you weren't running around the clock. No, that, that was totally different. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it was like then. See, I was worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute.
<laughs> Teddy, I am just so delighted that you were able to spend some time with us tonight. Uh, I'm really sorry that your world got shaken. <laughs> it really did. Why? Oh, I mean, I, it did. I affected you, but I don't usually ignite earthquakes. My goodness. <laughs> there's, one, there's one kind of interesting thing we haven't gotten into very briefly, if we have uh -huh. time here. Teddy, when you were on uh the uh on monitor and you were on uh this night show you had to on friday nights because monitor expanded backwards to 10 to 8 p.m to 10 p.m on friday nights yes. and so you had to get from monitor to the par show and it wasn't in the same studio talk about where that was and how you got there well the thing is i got there by foot because it was better than, than taking a cab uh because nac was rockefeller center and we were at a broadway theater and 34th Street, I think. So I just took off a plan over there to get to the show in time. You would be running in Midtown Manhattan on Friday nights to go from NBC Radio to The Tonight Show with Jack Parr. You'd be running. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it wouldn't be um, right to try to get a cab. I wouldn't have gotten there. Yet. How many blocks did you have to go? Uh, five. Five blocks. Oh. And you never were accosted? Nobody ever stopped you or threatened you or anything like that? Well, this time I'm going by, they think they're going to be able to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going too fast for them. This is a good That's right. story. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's funny. You didn't have to run away from anybody. They couldn't catch you. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. And it's fun to go to that, too, from the studio, you know, from Rockefeller Center, which is all closed up. It's that all glass studio. And then to get to that stage, which was a real Broadway stage. Yeah. And that was very exciting. My gosh. My gosh. What are you doing today? I'm just taking it easy right now. And uh, I find everything very interesting, and, and I do a lot of interesting things, nothing in particular. Do you talk with people who remember Monitor? Yes. I do. Some of them, uh, I'm surprised that they come over and talk to me. Really? Yes, and uh, they talk to me about The Tonight Show, too, a lot. Do they recognize you or your voice? They, me, from The Tonight Show. What a great compliment. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I really like that. I'm glad you do. Yeah. Oh, that's that's terrific. Now, you told me, Teddy, that at parties, people still ask you to do the Miss Monitor uh, voice. Yes, I do. <laughs> I did two weeks ago. I did the 36, 36, 36 button. <laughs> they like that the best. I love that. I love that. Teddy Thurman, you are an absolute delight, Miss Monitor. I am so glad that we had an opportunity to talk tonight. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Okay. It's really a pleasure for me, and I thank you. I hope we can do it again. Well, maybe we will. I so I hope so. Oh. Miss Monitor, thank you. And I do thank you. Good Good night. Night. Good night. Good night, Teddy. And there we go. Nothing like live radio, right, guys? Oh, my goodness. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I just keep having my breath taken away here. <laughs> During an earthquake while I was looking for Miss Monitor, so I was, I was trying to... I, I was looking for a good clip to play while you guys were feeling an earthquake down there. So, oh, well. Goodness, um, you know, I'm going to have to call 911 by the time we're finished here. Every time somebody says, boo, I go, what? How could that be? What? Um, Dennis, tell me how the 
the cast was set up. Were there regulars? Did you have interchangeable positions? How were they recruited? How was the cast developed? Talk to me about all of that. Yeah, they had to hire a lot of people to get monitor on the air because it was such a massive broadcast, 40 hours a weekend. So they hired more than 100 people, and they also used the resources of the NBC radio affiliated stations around the country, first of all, to find out about what was going on out there. There was no magic to finding out about a, an elephant party in San Francisco. You had to have your NBC station in San Francisco tell you something was coming up. But actually at Radio Central, they hired dozens of writers, producers, uh, assignment editors responsible for churning out this massive flow. Uh, and of course, what, what Pat Weaver's brilliance was, and it was such brilliant in almost everything he did, everything he touched was magical, including Monitor, but he realized that to get an audience, you were going to have to have name hosts, he called them communicators, who were fronting all of this uh, at Radio Central. And so he brought in people from television or who were big-named radio people to host Monitor, and that was always the case on Monitor. There were always very well-known people hosting it for its entire 20 years. And so he knew that he, in order to bring the people in, he'd have to have the big-name people like a Dave Garraway, uh, like a Hugh Downs, like a Frank Blair, who, was, again, was the newsreader on the Today Show. Uh, and he also knew he had to have some gimmicks, the, the monitor beacon, which was the insignia, the audio insignia of the broadcast for all 20 years introducing the show. Bob and Ray providing the comedy routines. And by the way, this is – Bob and Ray were clearly uh, the seminal uh, comedic team in the 1950s, succeeded by and joined by Mike Nichols and Elaine May. They were there literally all weekend long at Radio Central, as Teddy pointed out. They were there originally not just to provide comedy breakup, but in case something went wrong. Remember, this was a live broadcast and with remotes from all around the country and the world. Well, occasionally those lines would not work. People would not be there. Their job was to sit there and be ready to ad-lib a comedy routine to cover the fluff, to cover what was supposed to have taken place. And they did it brilliantly. They had no script whatsoever. Bob and Ray never operated from a script. But they knew each other so well from their days in radio in Boston that one of them would say, let's do this, and they'd ad-lib something for two or three minutes, almost unheard of, and they were brilliant in doing that. So you had yes, this cast of characters, not characters, but hosts, sports people, comedians, live guests, etc., etc., and you, you would tune in each hour during those 40 hours. You could tune in for 15 minutes or for 28 hours, however long you wanted to listen. It was something new every hour. That was the amazing thing about Monitor. The last hour was gone. They'd done five remotes from there. We're going to do five more here. And again, this is not a news broadcast per se, but it had everything that was going on in the world, be it you know, uh, festivals, rocket launches, live reports from airplanes, Anything going on in the world, they'd be there covering it. Uh, so, yeah, they, they hired more than 100 people. They had hundreds of people helping them, stringers, they were, they're called, who worked the local stations. And it became a very big deal to be on Monitor if you were at a local station because NBC Radio would pay you to do something for them. And so they literally had people falling all over themselves. Uh, I knew several people as I was growing up, still too young to be in the business, but at the local station here who – they fought over wanting to be on Monitor. Here, they, we, they offered them this. They'd offer them this piece, this piece, this piece. It was a very big deal to be on NBC's Monitor. So you, I, I want to just update people before I go into it, because I'll, I'll talk to you until 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, we're talking with Dennis Hart, who is author of Monitor. It 
Monitor was the NBC radio show that ran from 1955 to 1975. Now, this book is a second edition, revised and expanded, of what was described as the inside story of Network Radio's greatest program. And I have to tell you, it probably was. Um, there just isn't anything that could come close to it. There's information about the book and links to places where you can buy it at Dennis's website. The website is Monitor Beacon, M-O-N-I-T-O-R-B-E-A-C-O-N dot net. Did I get that right? You got it right. Uh, matter of fact, uh, one of the fun things I like doing here, Patricia, is when we do this show, and we've done this for a number of years on Monitor's anniversary, I, I'm on the website right now, and I always like to refresh it. And it always fascinates me. There are so many people who listen to this, your radio network here. The number of hits keep going up and up and up every time we mention the name. <laughs> wonderful, and, wonderful, wonderful. But on this website, I, I think people would really enjoy. It's monitorbeacon.net. We have a lot of pictures. We have a lot of audio, hour after hour of audio from virtually every year of Monitor's life. Uh, the history of Monitor, uh, Miss Monitor, we have a, a link here that you can see just what a beautiful lady was on the air here with us, Miss Monitor. Uh, it's, it's really a, it's been a joy to put this together. It's all free, just you, you have hour after hour of audio. Uh, you can hear exactly what, what Monitor sound is like and why it was so exciting to listen to. And I think that's really the key. It was an exciting broadcast, Patricia, to listen to because you never knew what was coming to come it up. It was unpredictable. Unpredictable. But again, it covered everything of importance in the weekend world. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those things where it was so exciting because, again, television couldn't cover any of this. And you felt, no matter where you were in the country, like you were part of this enterprise. John Chancellor said this. He was uh, one of the communicators on Monitor. He said uh, you felt like you were part of a single enterprise no matter where you were in the United States, and that was magical. And believe me, from 1955 to 1975, this radio program had an immense impact on the country. It's amazing how many people listened, and the impact it had in the United States was immense. We're going to talk about audience in just a minute. I'd like to remind our audience that you can call in with questions for Dennis or comments, and especially memories, if you remember listening to this show uh, over the years. The number is 714-545-2071. Dennis, how old were you when you discovered the show? How old was I? Uh-huh. Well, let's see. If I if I give you my how old I was then, uh, that uh, that, <laughs> oh, that no, age no, thing. I'm sorry. We had no. We had a joke about that. I was twelve <laughs> years old when I discovered the show. You twelve were, years you, old. A big time rock and roll radio fan at that point. So that would be nineteen seventy five. So he was born nineteen sixty three. Everybody. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Walter. That's very nice. No, I was I was uh, I wasn't even a teenager, as I say, when I first heard Monitor, and but I knew it was something special, and knew it sounded so good, and I became a fan. Literally, I'm not kidding when I say this. The instant I heard the show, I knew it was special, and I became a fan, and I'm still a fan. Uh, Almost 50 years later, almost 50 years later. All right, Dennis, I'm going to say something that I know you as a communications and journalist, journalism expert understand. When someone says, who is your audience, and the answer comes back, everyone, you know it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. But that's what Monitor did. Yeah. Now, yeah. the, you were talking about 30 million listeners in your book. Where did you fit into the audience profile? What, what was the audience profile? Well, Monitor always had a tremendous number of people 
between the ages of 25 and 55 years old, the prime demographic that television looks for now. It was a, it was an entertaining, informative show. Yeah, now, that, it, what was unusual about my, I mean, I was 12 years old when I first heard it. I loved it because it was so unpredictable because it did sound such like such big-time radio, and I knew I wanted to go into that. It sounded exciting to me. There was only one way to put it. It was exciting. But that's the amazing thing. In the 19, early 1960s, Monitor's audience was 30 million every weekend in a country of 180 million. One out of six people listened to Monitor. Now, just to put that into perspective, Patricia, so that people know how big that was, right now we're a country of about 300 million people. The biggest radio show in the United States, a syndicated talk show, has 14 million people listening to it on a weekly basis. Monitor had 30 million in a country that had 120 fewer million people. That's the impact of Monitor. It was gigantic. That's the equivalent that 30 million audience is bigger than any television show's audience with the exception of the Super Bowl now and maybe the last couple of nights of American Idol. And again, that's in a country that had so many fewer people than we have right now. Monitor was ubiquitous. I mean, it was amazing how many people listened to that broadcast. What were the broadcast limitations? How far did it go in any direction? Well, I mean, you mean in terms of uh, it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, was all over the in, in all, London, or oh, was it continental? No, it was, no, it was it was on the NBC radio network, two hundred and twenty <laughs> stations of the NBC radio network, mm-hmm. and NBC's radio stations tended to be from the earliest days of radio the biggest and most powerful stations in the United States because they were the first radio network. They had more of what we called fifty thousand watt clear channel stations, where only one station was on that particular part of the dial, than any other radio network did. So NBC stations tended to be the biggest in every city. You could go, and I well remember doing this when I was growing up, uh, because my dad listened to Monitor when he was in the car. And um, as, as the book points out, a lot of kids grew up with their dads listening to Monitor in the garage or in the car. But I well remember uh, being able to drive anywhere in California. You'd never lose Monitor signal because once you were out of San Francisco, the big station there, you could pick it up in Fresno, Los Angeles, San Diego, Sacramento. Every NBC affiliate carried it, and you never lost track of that signal no matter where you were in the United States. You just bunny hop from location to location. Exactly, from radio station to radio station. Uh-huh. Once you got out of reach of one NBC station, uh, it, would be on, it would be on all over the country. And I remember, again, listening at night to Monitor as far away from, uh, as Denver, Colorado, and I could pick up Monitor on six or seven stations at the same time uh-huh. uh, at night. So, I mean, its its broadcast reach was immense, and that audience, one out of six is an immense audience uh, uh, at any time, but uh, I remember one, and people have told me the same story, one thing that I remember very well when I was about 14 or 15 years old, uh, I remember carrying my transistor radio outside and walking up and down the neighborhood with monitor on. Absolutely a true story, Patricia. I turned off my transistor radio. I could hear Monitor coming from almost every garage up and down my block. <laughs> I could listen to Monitor without listening to my radio. That's how many people were listening to Monitor. You replaced Amos and Andy. Exactly it's what it did. Isn't it amazing? Exactly what happened. And I heard the same story from several of my friends who grew up in different parts of the country who are in broadcasting. They did the exact – I remember very well a good friend of mine who grew up in Minneapolis when he was first married – walking his uh, baby in a stroller down uh, Minneapolis Street and hearing Monitor all the way down his block from car from uh, garage radios. So That's he, didn't, he didn't need a portable radio. He didn't need a portable he didn't radio. That he didn't have a transistor. I don't even know if they had them when, then. When you hear that, by the way, when you hear that, you realize 
that's a pretty important show. I mean, that that's something that you never forget in your life. That 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 uh, the idea that you've just gone down the block and you heard the same show. That's pretty amazing. It it embeds itself in your mind. I've never forgotten mm-hmm. that. You gave me a segue into my next question, and we did touch on this a few minutes that we had before we went on the air. You were comparing monitors' listening numbers to today's listening yep. numbers yep. Uh, in, in terms of total population. And I asked you about talk show that you emphasized in a couple of places, and I understood that and it, entirely, that monitor was ahead of talk radio, which is something that's most people are familiar with today, yes. but it, it, it wasn't always there. And I asked you about competition with talk show radios, uh, like Barry Farber, Barry Gray, Gene right. Shepard, Long John Nebel, right. that entire group. And as it came out, I was asking the question backward. How did they compete with Monitor? Well, see, Monitor was the forerunner of talk radio, modern talk radio. There's absolutely no question about that because Monitor had uh, hosts interviewing people about topics of current importance uh, or interest, et cetera, et cetera. Talk shows were much easier to produce than Monitor, obviously, because Monitor went around the world, around the country with all kinds of things every week, and a talk show host was merely in a studio with a producer taking phone calls from people about various topics. But uh, the talk show host, and Barry Farber, by the way, on when Monitor ended in 1975, had the Monitor people on his talk show on WOR radio for two hours uh, because he said it had influenced him so greatly when he was growing up, he wanted to go into radio because of monitoring. He, he credited monitor with putting him in talk radio. But yeah, it wasn't a matter of competition. They were doing two separate things. Uh, talk radio, you'd have a, a host with a topic. Monitor would take you everywhere in the world, plus have the sports, plus have the comedy, etc., etc. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, have thought that the only thing close to Monitor today, and there's nothing like Monitor on the air now, unfortunately, but National Public Radio, <clears throat> with their weekend edition, uh, has a little bit of what Monitor had, um, because they, they have a wide range of topics. But what they don't have are the big-name hosts that everybody knows. They don't have the comedy. They don't have uh, all of the topics that Monitor did. It tends to be a much more straightforward broadcast with National Public Radio, much more serious broadcast. Uh, not serious in terms of boring, necessarily. Monitor was, at the same time, incredibly educational, incredibly informative and incredibly entertaining and that was what really attracted i think uh, the listeners you could learn a heck of a lot if you listen to monitor uh on a weekend because you'd be hearing the most interesting people in the world the most informative the biggest news stories out there that was the amazing thing and it never bored you it never ever bored you because that's not what pat weaver wanted it to do he wanted it to inform and entertain that was his brilliance he thought the medium could do so much more than it was doing Amazing. How were the guests chosen and recruited? Purely on the basis of what's interesting, who's in the news, what's informative. And the way it worked was was this, and Bob Maurer, who was the executive producer of Monitor for so many years, uh, I'm happy to say is still hale and healthy and hearty in New York City, and he and I talk once a month, and I interviewed him numerous times for this book. But Bob, uh, Bob would be working Monday through Friday. He was the executive producer, the man responsible for deciding we're going to do this, 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 and this. Uh, now, because Monitor had been on the air on Saturday and Sunday, all of those people were off on Monday and Tuesday, except for some behind-the-scenes people, the assignment editors, uh, people who were researchers, etc. So he would start meeting with them on Monday morning. 
and they'd come in with ideas. These were the assignment editors. Okay, there's a show opening up. Here's what we're hearing out of San Francisco that's going on. Here's what's going on in Kansas City, Omaha. There's going to be this going on around the world. There's this World Fair going on. They'd start churning ideas in the Monday and Tuesday meetings. And he would say at that point, okay, why don't you start research on this, 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 this. The first real meeting that they would have for the weekend would be on Wednesday when everybody was back. Uh, the producers, the editors, the writers were all back from their weekend. They'd have to take Sunday or Monday or Monday or Tuesday off. They'd come back in and have this giant meeting and say, okay, here's what we've got coming in. Here are the availabilities. And they'd start dividing it up. And Maurer would say, here's what we're going to do. Let's, let's get Sinatra. Let's get so-and-so. Let's get so-and-so. Let's get so-and-so. If they were hot, if there was a play, a movie, something going on, Okay. And then it was the responsibility of the assignment editors to bring those people in either live to the broadcast on the weekend or tape it. Now, if they were going to tape it, if they couldn't come in live, you'd have to bring oftentimes the host in early. If it was a Gene Rayburn who was the longest tenured host on Monitor, he was at the studio anyway doing uh, the match game. He could come on down and interview somebody, and they would edit it and get it ready for his segment on Saturday on Monitor. If the host wasn't available, the writer would introduce, uh, interview the person, and they'd edit it so that it appeared that the host had done the interview, et cetera, et cetera. All of this – now, bear in mind, you've got different crews for each hour or each three or four hours of the show. In the early days, during the 40 hours, you'd have 10 separate production crews, 10 separate writers, producers, assignment editors, directors, because they worked in four-hour shifts. In the later days of Monitor, when it was on for 16 hours a weekend, you had five different massive crews, all of them operating independently and yet together. They were all producing this thing called Monitor, but once they got their list of, here's who we're going after, here are the remotes, they all break apart, and they were in this giant pod area on the fifth floor of radio, uh, or I'm sorry, on the eighth floor of the RCA building, where Monitor was headquartered, the studio was on the fifth floor. They'd start working Okay, we've got to get this, got to get this interview, got to set up this live remote, got to start writing this. Uh, Derward Kirby once called it, he was one of the monitor hosts. He said it was a playpen with typewriters. So much was going on <laughs> up there. It was a madhouse. And yet, as you approach Saturday morning, the first monitor segment, Saturday morning at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning, that particular group of production people, separate from the others, because they only had to do their three or four hours, would start, they'd come out, they'd come to work. Uh, early on Saturday morning, the host would come in around 7.30 or 8 o'clock to start reading the script. Uh, uh, the producers would be there. It was a massive operation to get this thing on the air. They'd do their segment. Then this crew would exit, and here comes the next production crew, if you will, producers, writers, directors, editors, technical directors. All of them would come in, replacing the first group. They would do their three or four hours. They would exit. If it sounds like maybe one of the more complex productions ever done in radio, it was. Bear in mind, every bit of this was live, none of it on tape. Every hour of Monitor had a live host. That's the amazing thing. When you did a Jack Benny show, which was a marvelous broadcast on NBC and CBS radio, you did it in the early days live, certainly, but you only had to do one half hour or maybe two at the most if you were doing a repeat for the West Coast. Monitor was on for 40 hours. 40 hours. And, you know, even saying that right now, Patricia, I don't know how they did it. And I've been in radio for 35 or 40 years in television. I don't know how those people did it. It was that massive an effort.
Incredible. What you were just describing for me sounded like shift change in an emergency room. It, exactly. Exactly. Because that's what it took to get the show on the air. You couldn't have any particular group of uh, people doing any more than three or four hours. You'd wear them out. But it all started on that Monday meeting with Bob Maurer and his production people, his assignment editors. They would bring in this massive list, hundreds of potential things. Here are potential things we can do. What do you want to do? And it was really Maurer who made Monitor sound the way it did for most of its life. He was the executive producer from about 1961 to 1973 or 4. So he was the single most important behind-the-scenes person because he'd be the one to say, let's get this person on the air, but not this person. Let's get this. Let's go for this. Let's go for this. Let's make sure it's Gene Rayburn who does this, Ed McMahon who does this, uh, Henry Morgan who does this. They were all Monitor hosts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I can honestly tell you, I interviewed dozens of people for the book. I have gotten to know them. I've met many of them. Not one person who was ever associated with Monitor, and this is an amazing thing in broadcasting, believe me, nobody ever said anything other than, I loved working there. It was the best job of my life. Every, there were people, they were telling me, who wanted to transfer from NBC television to Monitor because it was more fun to work on Monitor. That's amazing. I I can deal with that. You just precipitated two questions in my head. I'm I've ready. got 88 sheets of questions here, and I'm writing more in the notebook here. <laughs> I like that. I can, you, you know what? Cool. I can talk about monitor as long as you want to talk. I'm open. Oh, my gosh. You are, you are just too cool. Uh, you mentioned names along the way. Uh, Gene Rayburn, for example, yep. was doing in another studio. All of Many of your hosts, your hosts, I keep, I, this is your I, show. I wish they were my hosts. Yes. <laughs> this is your show, and I'm going to be making that boo-boo I wanted to work here. on Monitor, believe me. That's why I went into broadcasting. I yeah, wanted I, to be there. <laughs> I got that note in there. You, you didn't uh, get to be part of Monitor, nope. so nope. you're the expert in Monitor now. <laughs> Was there any conflict at all with people who had to do more than one show? And that, What do you mean? You mean between television and radio? Television and radio, or wherever they were coming from, they were they were doing monitor in addition yes. to other shows. Was there a problem with any of the hosts or performers because they were being asked to do more than one show? Well, yeah, it's only occasionally, but I, I can give you a fascinating one. Yeah, and it, again, we should say that uh, what Weaver's idea was, and it was followed through all the way to the end of monitor, was you would get people as hosts of the broadcast who local stations could never possibly get on their air. That was why Monitor was so special. A local station could never do what NBC Radio was doing. So, for example, in the mid-1960s, the hosts of Monitor included Gene Rayburn, Ed McMahon, Henry Morgan, Barry Nelson, and Frank Blair. That's a pretty darn impressive host list. Now, all of those people had other things going on. Gene was hosting uh, the match game. Ed was the announcer for Johnny on Tonight. Henry Morgan was, of course, doing uh, the game shows on CBS and had many things going on. Barry Nelson was starring on Broadway uh, and in, in films and uh, in television shows. And Frank Blair, of course, was the newsreader for today. So here's occasionally things would work out where they couldn't be. For example, uh, Ed McMahon, and I remember this very well, Johnny Carson took The Tonight Show before he moved it out to Hollywood permanently, used to go out once or twice a year and spend two or three weeks out there. He originated it from New York generally, but brought it out to Hollywood. Well, Ed could not do Monitor when he was out in Hollywood.
the air Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock for his Saturday afternoon monitor segment. Ed McMahon was one of those guys who truly loved being on monitor. Had wanted to do it all of his life. And he did it while he was hosting a five-night or being Johnny's second banana on this night show. Gene Rayburn was doing the match game five days a week on NBC. A longtime radio guy, loved doing Monitor, the longest-tenured host. Barry Nelson was starring in Cactus Flower on Broadway when he was hosting Monitor. Uh, and at that point, he was the Saturday afternoon host on Monitor. He was in Cactus Flower. His matinee would be on a Sunday he would literally you know, go from monitor to uh, the Saturday night performance. Uh, he'd be on the air from 3 until 6 o'clock on monitor, go to his show, Cactus Flower, at 7.30 on Saturday night on Broadway, do a matinee on Sunday, come back the next weekend to host monitor. These guys loved doing monitor because it, it was fun for them. And every all the hosts I talked to said it was the best thing they'd ever done in terms of fun, just so much fun to be there. So if I'm hearing you correctly, these people who were doing multiple performances, if, for lack of a better word, they, were, they had more than one job to go to. If they could only pick one, if they were told, I'm sorry, you can only do one from now on, most of them would likely pick Monitor. Well, see, yeah, Gene Rayburn didn't have to do Monitor. Gene was doing a lot of things. Gene was the first announcer on The Tonight Show, Steve Allen's announcer in 1954. Uh, and he just loved radio. He had been on WNEW and WNBC radio in New York. He was a radio guy. And when he first got associated with Monitor in 1961, he never wanted to give it up. So though he kept doing, he starred in Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway. He starred, he was on The Match Game. He'd be on other shows. But he would... He was always there on Saturday mornings on Monitor because that's what he loved doing. The same thing virtually every talk show host who was on television, not talk show, I'm sorry, every game show host at one point or another did Monitor. I mean, you've got Art Fleming, who was uh, uh, Jeopardy's first host. You had Bill Cullen, the king of TV uh, game shows. He hosted Monitor. It was just a very, very big deal for these guys to do it because it was they just told me it was a heck of a lot of fun to be there. You knew that you had millions of listeners. It was a professionally done broadcast. It was the linchpin network broadcast in the United States for 20 years. Nothing could touch Monitor. It was prestigious to be on Monitor. Uh, I, to show you how big Monitor was, and this really ties in with you know, you know the, the impact the show had, in 1965, uh, on Monitor's 10th anniversary, uh, they had a Monitor Day at the World's Fair. The mayor of New York... Uh, declared it Monitor Day uh, in New York City. They threw a party in the plaza in what would be the skating rink in the winter at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, attended by hundreds of people for Monitor's 10th birthday. Everybody in broadcasting was there. Politicians were there. It was a major league event that was covered in all the newspapers. That's how big NBC Monitor was on radio in the 1960s. Incredible. Everybody who is listening, we are talking with Dennis Hart, in case you came in a little bit late. Dennis is the author of Monitor, which I have termed a very simple title for a very complex program that ran from 1955 to 1975 on NBC. It was hours and hours and hours of entertainment every weekend. The book is the second edition, revised and expanded, so if you have the first edition 
please take a look at what he is offering in this second helping of, uh, my goodness, a buffet. <laughs> it really is a buffet. And I have to tell you, the reason I wrote the second book, uh, I didn't write the books to make money. I wrote the books, honestly, because nobody had written the book. And I thought Monitor deserved to be recognized for what it was, the greatest single broadcast in American history, the most important one in broadcast and radio network history. But the reason I came out with a second book a year and a half or so later is because after the first book, so many Monitor people found out I had written the first book, but I hadn't been able to reach them. They began contacting me. Uh, and literally they... about two dozen people who I had never been able to contact, all of a sudden, here they came with wonderful stories, wonderful behind-the-scenes stories of uh, what went on. And I thought my first book's inadequate. I, that's This is so much better. I, I got excited about it. and. The second book is much more detailed, and I'm, I'm really proud of that one. But this is not a – I'm not trying to sell books on this, no. by the way, Patricia. I'm really not. The website will give you so much good stuff, all free, uh, monitorbeacon.net. Go to that, and uh, you'll get an idea of what Monitor is. Monitorbeacon.net. And we have, um, we have a call in line, 714-545-2071. If you're not too overwhelmed by everything you've heard so far, <laughs> you can – it up and take nourishment. Please give Dennis a call and uh, have some questions for him. Hey Dennis, tell talk about tell me about the um, people you tracked down. Who was the first one? How did it lead to the next person? Who were you surprised that you heard from or that you got a phone number for? Sure. Well, I think the first one, if I remember, was a gentleman by the name of Bud Drake, who was the longest tenured monitor producer. He was there 19 of the broadcast 20 years. And the reason I got hold of Bud is because. Uh, we put up this website uh, 10 years ago this year. As a matter of fact, it's 10 years ago in October. And I figured, and it was not even close to what it looks like today, very rudimentary, hardly any audio on it. it was, my, my son put it up there because he was a computer wizard. I knew nothing about how to do websites. And I figured we'd get five people a year looking at it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, imagine my surprise when hundreds and thousands of people began going to this website, and they started writing me letters about Monitor. And I realized, my goodness, a lot of people remember this broadcast. One of them who wrote was the son of an NBC radio engineer who had engineered Monitor for years. Gene Garns was his name, and Gene Garns Jr. contacted me on the website and said, my dad engineered NBC's Monitor. Well, wow, I was excited about that. And he said, and my dad's close friends with the longest tenured producer of Monitor, Bud Drake, and all of this, and we could give you some information about how to contact him. Well, I, I contacted Bud and Gene and began talking to them on weekends because I have a you know, full-time job. I have a couple of things that I do here. <laughs> and so I began researching this on weekends and recording our conversations, and Bud began talking to me. And he talked to me, I'll, I'll never forget this, seven, eight, or nine straight weekends for two or three hours at a shot. Uh, and I'd be recording our conversation. He knew everything about Monitor because he'd been there the whole time. He put me in contact with Charles Garment, the longest-tenured Monitor writer. All of that began going down. Everybody I talked to knew somebody else, of course, because they'd all worked with these people. And so I began contacting them, contacting them, contacting them. And I will tell you, a couple of them didn't really want to talk about it. Well, why are you – you know, that was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Well, I eventually broke them down with my enthusiasm. <laughs> what I said was, you folks were part of the most enterprising, innovative – important broadcast in radio, and no one's done the book on it. I said, I have no, I'm not making any money on this, believe me. I'm not out to rip you off. I want to I keep Monitor's memory alive. I'm sincere about this, and I kept calling them, and finally, I broke them all down. 
my my oh, I have some regrets about how long it took me. It took me about a year and a half, two years for the first book, and eighteen months after that. My regret is I could not get a book in the hands of Bud Drake. He passed away the month before the first book was published. Mm. I was so hurt by that I couldn't get him the book. And he was so good about talking with me. Uh, Pat Weaver um, had a copy of the book before he passed away. I was pleased about that. I really wanted to talk to Gene Rayburn, but Gene had passed away just before I started writing the book. Gene, of all the hosts, was the most beloved monitor host. Everybody had good things to say about Gene, everybody who talked to him. And I really wanted to get them, but I hadn't started writing the book. And I, I wasn't able to contact him. But I interviewed probably during the course of both books three or four dozen people who had been associated with Monitor. And one of the great moments of my life, it really was, was uh, several years ago, I was fortunate to be able to put together a Monitor reunion in Manhattan, which I co-hosted with John Bohannon. We got together at Hurley's Tavern in Manhattan six years ago, 2004. Three or four dozen Monitor people came to that reunion. It was the first time they'd been together in 30 years. I was just blown away, and I was choking up as I was on I was on the microphone at front, and I said, and I really meant this, it's not often that a man gets to be in the room, the same room with his heroes. I have that privilege right now, and I was crying because they were the ones who got me into broadcasting. It was that emotional an experience to be in that room with those people. Wow. Love that story. Hey, Dennis. Love that story. Bolton, did you want to? One other thing, you bet. Dennis, um, I one of the things I think Molly did so well were these hour specials. Let me play a quick sample and we'll talk about how in the world these things came about. Here we go. May 29, 1963, everybody. What you say, Hips? This is Bones. This is Jack Benny. I haven't had a birthday in 30 years. Happy birthday, anyway. It's a great great charge for me to be uh, on this little tribute to you on your 79th birthday. Hello, Stenos. Why don't you get your nose popped? This is Jane Mansfield, and I will wish you with all my heart the happiest birthday you've ever had. Oh, Mortimer, oh, oh Mortimer, oh, oh, yeah, Mortimer Snurd, and, uh, and uh, I want to say, uh, yeah, I want to say happy, uh, happy, happy Father's Day. Frank Sinatra, Jack Benny, Bing Crosby, Jimmy Durante, Jane Mansfield, Edgar Bergen. Just six of the many stars who in this next hour will help us say happy birthday, Bob Hope. Great concept. How in the world, who came up with the idea to start doing this one-hour profile on well, people? Uh, and they did a lot of those. As you point out, they yeah. would uh, do birthday celebrations. They did on Groucho Marx, on uh, Jack Benny, on Burns and Ellen. Uh, it was just a staff thing. I mean, when I say a staff thing, they'd be sitting around. They were sitting around the room and say, okay, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? Well, you know, Jack Benny's got a birthday coming up. Okay, well, is there something we should do other than interview Jack Benny? Well, we could put together, and no one's really sure about who came up with the idea, but as Charlie Garman told me, everybody came up with the idea. And once the idea came up, the one-hour specials, came into being, which was that on somebody's birthday, a Sinatra birthday or something like this, they would devote an hour to interviewing tons of people, uh, obviously playing Frank in, in concert, uh, people who'd known him, Frank himself, et cetera, et cetera. Just doing that one hour was an immense amount. I mean, figure 
you're going to take two weeks to put together a one-hour show. And Monitor was on the air for 40 hours every weekend. How in the world do you do that? Uh, and the answer is they worked their rears off. They just worked their rears off. And at that point, from 1955 to 75, everybody in the country, all of the entertainers in the country knew about Monitor because they were on Monitor. So they, were, they wanted to be on Monitor. It was... Wow, I'm going to get I'm going to get an hour. I'm going to get be I'm going to be interviewed. People wanted to be on that broadcast. So uh, you're right. They did they did that very well. They also did from in the early 1960s something called date specials, where for 15 minutes on a Sunday night, a Frank McGee would narrate something with plenty of audio inserts about what had happened. Uh, let's say uh, 1943 on this date, 1947 on this date. What was going on? Blah 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 blah. Uh, they would do a historical retrospective every Sunday night for 15 minutes, highly produced, plenty of audio inserts, etc. Most of those written by Bud Drake during the course of uh, his producing a three-hour segment. Uh, it, when you say, you know, what didn't – it's hard to say what Monitor didn't do. It was eclectic. I heard you laughing there, Patricia. It's really true. Monitor threw the kitchen sink at you in an entertaining, informative incredibly captivating way. I I think it's safe to say if you tuned in the monitor for an hour or a half an hour, you wouldn't tune away because you'd heard half a dozen things you hadn't even thought you were ever going to hear. Fascinating, funny, informative, just a great broadcast. The first time you heard it, you'd listen forever, and, and people did, and people did. And you did. I want to ask you about something you just mentioned. When you were talking to, for the second round, I guess, talking to all of the people who just showed up on your doorstep or your phone step, as, as the case may be, you were talking about behind-the-scenes stories that you were yes. having shared with you. What is your favorite behind-the-scenes story that someone told you? <laughs> Well, a couple of them I can't tell you because they're <laughs> really strange. But a, a, a That's good, huh? <laughs> well, there are two or three stand out. Two or three stand out. Uh, okay. One of them is, uh, and not in any particular order, uh, Gene Rayburn, very well known, extraordinarily well known, obviously, for his television work, his radio work. One Saturday morning, after he'd been on Monitor for years, the security guard did not recognize him and would not let him up to the fifth floor to be on the show. So when Monitor began, they had to have a backup announcer start the show because Gene was trying to get into the RCA building. He'd been there for years on the Tonight Show and on the, the match game, but this particular um, uh, security guard did not recognize him. So it took him a while to get the Monitor. Second uh, thing, uh, in the later years, Murray the K, who was a very well-known disc jockey, in New York City. The fifth mm -hmm. Beatle, he was called, as a matter of fact, during the time of the Beatles. Well, he had calmed down tremendously, and he was hosting Saturday Night Monitor for two or three years. One, Murray was notorious for uh, his, his behavior. And one Saturday night, uh, and this was, I think, a, <laughs> a pretty good story, actually. Uh, Murray <laughs> introduced Monitor News on the Hour, NBC Monitor News on the Hour, and then took it off, uh, uh, transferred it to the news guy. And all Murray had to do <clears throat> at the end of the five minutes Let's say, uh, listen again on the hour for NBC Monitor News, and then the beacon would come up, the monitor beacon, and the program would begin. Well, the newscaster finished, and uh, the director said, okay, cue Murray. And they looked into the studio, and Murray was nowhere to be seen. And so Murray obviously couldn't say, listen again on the hour for NBC Monitor News. Uh, so no, why, nobody had noticed he had left. He had somehow disappeared. Everybody rushed into the studio. 
Murray was actually on the ground, apparently had taken a sleeping pill and passed out during uh -huh. Monitor News and was on the ground. So he could not introduce Monitor. Another story, and this is, um, the audio clip of this is on the website, and this may be my, well, this may be my favorite story. Hmm. Charlie Garment, during a Monitor newscast on a Saturday morning, Gene Rayburn had introduced the newscast, and it was being done from a studio next door by a friend of mine, as a matter of fact. His name is Dean Mel. He was the NBC News guy there at that point. Dean was doing the newscast, and at that point, uh, Charlie Garment came into Gene's studio, Studio 5B, from the control room, and he was in there with the monitor producer. Um, and they began getting into a heated discussion at that point during the newscast, but in a separate studio, uh, about the Vietnam War. Just as the newscast comes to an end, Dean Mel in one studio says, Dean Mel, NBC News. Gene Rayburn's mic has to come on the air from his studio so that he can say, listen again on the hour for NBC Monitor News at the exact moment that the mic is opened. Charlie Garment is in this heated argument with the monitor producer about Vietnam. The moment Gene's mic opens up, Charlie spews out BS, only he doesn't say BS. He says the whole thing. It goes on the air. Oh, my. It's on the air. Gene Rayburn, it's clearly heard on the air, and you can hear it on my website. It's classic. Gene is so stunned by this, he forgets where he is. <laughs> Because it's not often that people say that word on broadcast, on broadcast. Even now, you don't hear that word. So Gene stumbles a little bit and says, ring around. He's thinking about ring around the world, which is a monitor feature where they go to a location for a remote report. I have no idea why Gene said that, because he was just had to get out of monitor news on the hour. He says, ring around, uh, listen again on the hour for, uh, NBC monitor news. They close the mic. Charlie Garman, Charlie told me this story. It's a wonderful story. Knew immediately his career was over. He just said BS. Only he said the full word on the NBC radio network. So, <clears throat> to proactive, he's proactive. He goes back into the control room. Everybody is stunned about what's happened here. This is about 1965. Charlie calls his boss at home, Bob Maurer, the executive producer. He said to the boss, I just said BS on the air. In one of the great lines I think I've ever heard, Bob Maurer says, why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie said, well, I was in this argument, and the mic came open for Gene, and I said this. <laughs> Bob said, well, I think that's a problem. Yeah, um, I'll talk to you about it on Monday. It was Saturday. So Charlie thinks his career is over. NBC affiliates begin calling 30 Rockefeller Center. That's where Monitor was at the, in the RCA building. They say, they, many of them across the country have called in dozens. Did we just hear that word on the air? Why, did, why was that on the air? Well, you know, things happen, et cetera, et cetera. One NBC affiliate sent uh, uh, the radio network a roll of toilet paper to clean up Charlie's mouth. <laughs> Turns out Charlie was not fired because he was too valuable. It was a mistake he never again made in his career to... Uh, say something when a mic might be open, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that, that's a pretty good story. One more story is that uh, uh, Frank Blair and Dave Garraway were hosts on Monitor, and one time uh, Frank was saying to Dave, and Dave was always taking, Dave had this terrible schedule. He was hosting the Today Show five days a week, hosting Sunday night Monitor from 7 until 10 o'clock. He would sleep in the RCA building from Sunday night to Monday morning in order to be on the Today Show because he didn't want to go home 
uh, and have to come back and be on the air at 7 o'clock in the morning. So when he got off the air at 10 o'clock on Sunday nights hosting Monitor, he would sleep there uh, and then be on the air on Today. Hardly anybody knows that, that that happened. Well, one day Frank Blair, who's the newsreader on Today, is telling Dave, uh, you know, and Dave, Frank is also a host on Monitor, boy, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm having trouble sleeping. I don't know what to do. And Dave says, well, I've got this concoction. And Dave was always having concoctions. Dave had concoctions. So he gives Frank Blair this concoction. And Frank says, what is it? Well, just try it. Yeah, I call it the doctor. <laughs> so he, oh gives, boy. he gives Frank the doctor. Oh, boy. Frank, and I, I heard this story. It was a wonderful story. Frank Blair, it, whatever it was, Frank could not sleep for three days after taking the concoction. Oh, it was supposed my. to put him to sleep. It hyped him up so much. He always had suspicions about what it was, but <laughs> never really wanted to confront Dave about this. And he never again asked Dave Garraway how to go to sleep because he realized he would never go to sleep. Because <laughs> Garraway had to take all this stuff. Garraway maybe had the worst schedule in all of broadcasting at that point. He was so valuable as host of the Today Show. He was one of the linchpins. Pat Weaver knew he had to have hosting monitor, had to have him. And so he told Dave, I want you on Sunday night, 7 to 10 o'clock. You can sleep here, you know, we'll do whatever it takes. And Dave did that for six years until 1961 when he finally literally almost collapsed and had to leave both Today and Monitor at the same time. But uh, uh, those were, uh, you know, in a 40-hour broadcast, things go wrong, things happen. It's remarkable how few times that things actually went wrong uh, because it, it just was so high-pressured, so many things happening but it was a very professionally run, run broadcast. Remarkable. You, you answered two of my questions in one story, and I didn't even get to ask them. The first one was a blooper or a disaster that you learned about. Certainly <laughs> saying BS on the air would qualify yeah, yeah, for that. Yeah. And which show generated the most audience reaction or response? And this had to be in the top ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, bear in mind again that because Monitor was on so many hours each weekend, uh, it it became it got to a point where you couldn't identify. I mean, there were great hours, there were good hours, and there were hours that were just there. But it was on so often you couldn't identify. It wasn't like the Jack Benny show again, where every half hour once a week was wow, that was really a great half hour. Mm -hmm. Forty hours. That's why there is so remarkably little audio of Monitor because, and I I'm like a lot of other people. I talked with dozens of people during the course of writing the book. It was the same reaction I had. I didn't record. I recorded a lot of hours of Monitor when I was growing up, but I'd record over it and over it because I figured, gosh, it's going to be on the air next weekend for another 20 hours. I don't have to save this weekend. Well, little did we know the show wasn't going to be on forever. I actually thought it would be on forever, uh, never go off the air. And so I don't. Uh, when I started out with a website 10 years ago, I didn't have a lot of hours of Monitor, and fortunately, since then, uh, so many people have come, uh, you know, to the front and said, "Gosh, I recorded some Monitor hours. I've got a half an hour here, a half an hour here." And I think we have the greatest collection of monitor audio that may be in existence in the United States on our website right now. But the show was on for 20,000 hours, more than any other show in the history of broadcasting at that point. And I only have about 50 or 60 hours on the website. Would I like to have a few thousand hours? Oh, I'd love to. If anybody out there has it, I think you know how to reach me. <laughs> go, 
monitorbeacon.net. <laughs> Let's say that again, monitorbeacon.net. And they can get to you through that website. Is that correct? I am very easily approachable. You can re you can uh, write me. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll give my, give my email address right now. It's on the website. Actually, uh -huh. my email is not on the website. It's a blind thing that you go into. My email has been for the last 10 years, monitman at yahoo.com, M-O-N-I-T-M-A-N, monitor man, monitman at yahoo.com. That's how easy, people can reach me. Easy enough. And, and you can tell how difficult it will be to initiate a conversation with Dennis. Oh, I love talking about monitor. I wonder I really if, that, um, if that would be a problem for you if somebody asked about it. I don't think so. You know, so. this this really, uh, you talk about the impact, though, Patricia, and I don't know if you want to talk about it yet, but it it saved, as we said, the NBC radio network, which was in disastrous shape and about to go under in 1955 and became the single most successful and important broadcast in network radio history. It just single-handedly kept NBC on the air for 20 years. It was that important. What did it influence in the future? Talk radio. Absolutely no question about that. This was the forerunner of talk radio because uh, until Monitor came up, uh, you either had you had this great dichotomy, a dying industry of network radio and local station disc jockeys, and there was very little in between. Uh, talk radio hadn't been invented yet. Here came along Monitor, which was a new format, a format, uh, a magazine-type format, which said we're going to give you everything under the sun during the course of an hour, during the course of an afternoon, during the course of an evening. We're going to take you everywhere in the world. We're going to be so interesting, so informative. Uh, we're going to have big-name stars. We're going to have all of it for you. Once people began understanding you could actually have people on the radio as interviews, which Monitor did every weekend, uh, famous people, uh, people who just were quirky or funny, interesting people, that really helped develop the industry. Talk radio is a young industry. You know, you go back to the 1960s, uh, very few talk radio, there are no talk radio stations, but some hosts on radio taking phone calls, very simplistic on almost any topic. Well, that's almost a direct reaction to what Monitor was doing. I mean, Monitor wasn't just talk, though. Of course, Monitor was everything, comedy, sports, variety, et cetera, et cetera. But there's absolutely no question in my mind that Monitor helped generate talk radio. Uh, but again, talk radio, a much different, simpler format uh, mm -hmm. than Monitor. Monitor, uh, and again, people can come to the website and hear many hours of what Monitor was all about. Uh, don't be afraid. It's very easy to access uh, the sounds of Monitor on the website, and you can just, uh, you'll hear it. But Monitor, frankly, was the most exciting show probably in network radio history. If you, and I think it's fair to say right now, it would work today and should be on the air today because as you drive around on a weekend I don't care where you are listening right now in the United States whether you're in New York Chicago Los Angeles San Francisco my guess is that what you hear and we know what's out there on talk radio mostly reruns from the week you know reruns of other shows mm -hmm. etc monitor there's such a gaping hole in radio right now for quality weekend programming this show would be on the air and be a giant hit if somebody would put it back right now. The problem is it would cost an immense amount of money, as it did then, to put on the air. And network radio, as you know, has withered in this country to almost nothing except news on the hour. Right. And also, if they don't pay radio guys all that well. That's right. If at all. That's right. 
And I can tell you that the Monitor people made very good money, okay, because their show was very lucrative. The hosts made very good money, the writers, the producers. It was the most successful broadcast on network radio, and it single-handedly floated NBC radio. But think about how exciting it would be instead of tuning in, and, and this is not a knock on, uh, well, I guess it could be. Yeah, you, could, uh, you can knock them. It's okay with I mean, I'm in radio. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm in radio. Uh, uh-huh. I'm, I work on a, a very successful talk radio station in Central California. We're number one, and I have the highest ratings of any talk show, uh, any station in California, as a matter of fact. But I will tell you this. Uh, if Monitor were available today, my program director would put it on the air because it would be interesting, informative, and new. Not a rerun of an earlier week, uh, heard mm-hmm. in the week talk show, and it would be exciting. Uh, it, but um, well, it's not, and NBC Radio no longer exists, but there's a great need for it out there. And I think if people go to the website and hear what Monitor was all about, people who never heard Monitor, and Patricia, you, you're one of them. You hadn't heard it until this book. I think you'd say, my gosh, that's so exciting. Why don't we have that now? Dennis, why don't we have that now? I mean, seriously, <laughs> I, I am a talk show junkie. Walden will tell you that that is the honest-to-goodness truth. I will listen to anybody's opinion mm-hmm. as long as it's not somebody screaming and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. have much patience for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But um, All right, Dennis, you're the program director. How much of a budget and who do you want for, the next, for next weekend producing your first 40 hours of Monitor? Oh, pick me. Sorry, Patricia. Who do I want producing or who do I, I want, want hosting? You're the, I'm, I, you're the producer, Dennis. I want you to tell me what, what host. Oh, yeah. And how much, how much of a budget you're going to ask from me. Okay, well, here's the deal. In order to uh, generate the interest, as Monitor did in the 1970s, I'm going to use the same format they did in terms of picking hosts. I'm going to pick well-known people on television or people who are known on radio, people who are known for whatever reason they're known. I mean, so here's who I'm going to have as a potential roster of hosts. Let's say we're using the same monitor format that it had near the end, three, uh, 16 hours a weekend, five separate hosts in five different blocks. I would have a, a Pat Sajak as a host. I would have Alex Trebek as a host. I would have Al Roker as a host. Uh, let's see, who else would I have as a, uh, as a host? I would probably uh, find out, I would have Matt Lauer as a host. He would be my equivalent of Dave Garraway. I would have, um, let's see, probably have Ann Curry doing something for me. I would have, I've already talked about Sajak and Trebek. All right, because of their you got five. Talk show. Yeah, I would need five, I would need five. I would have... The, um, let's see, we no longer have announcers that are well-known for The Tonight Show. Every Tonight Show announcer hosted Monitor at one point or another, be it Gene Rayburn for Steve Allen, uh, Hugh Downs was Jack Parr's uh, announcer, and he mm-hmm. hosted Monitor. Ed McMahon was Johnny's announcer, he hosted Monitor, so I can't pull from The Tonight Show. Um, I would have probably... I, I could come up with a couple of other names, but my primary people would be Sajak, Trebek, um, Matt, uh, Al Roker would probably be my Saturday morning host. Oh, I would have Bob Costas. I would have Bob Costas as a host. Okay. He'd be my equivalent of Joe Garagiola, who right. hosted Monitor for a couple of years. Costas is one of those guys who comes right out of the box, just an effervescent personality. i got to have him as my Saturday afternoon host, I think, on Monitor. Okay? Now... Okay. Start out with that. You've got to have some. You've got to have some comedy people. You got to have. So I'd have to have Jay Leno doing some routines. Mm-hmm. 
as a lot of I, I'd have some other uh, big name comedians doing some routines. I would have some NBC News people, obviously, uh, doing some news pieces for me. Um, I would have. Um, I'd have a lot of NBC people there. I'd have a lot of people doing this. Now, how much is this going to cost me, Dennis? It's going to cost you a lot of money, and how here's much? what you're going to get for it in exchange for that. Okay. Uh, I could guarantee you right now, since there are so many more radio stations on the air in the U.S. now than there were in 1975, and all of them, virtually all of them, are dying for weekend programming. Okay. I mean, you don't have to be in radio to tune around and say there's nothing great on radio on the weekends very much anymore. Okay. So I can guarantee you we have more clearances. That means stations airing the broadcast than we had in 1975 or in 1965. So probably three or four hundred stations would pick it up. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, would you be able to sell three or four hundred stations? Absolutely. Okay. I would have monitor on the air 15 or 16 hours every weekend. Uh, I would have. It would cost you. Would it have to budget a million dollars a weekend? No. Don't think of no, 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 no. I don't think so. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. You know, I've, that, Walden, I'm going to have an answer for you next year if you ask me that question. <laughs> I'll budget that. But I'll tell you that um, the monitor host back then, uh, let's see if I can recall. I did not put this in the book because I thought it was really kind of personal. Mm -hmm. The monitor host back then, we're talking about uh, 1965 to 1970. The host made about $300 an hour to host monitor. So Gene yeah. Rayburn would make about $1,000 for three hours' work. Right. Okay, pretty good stuff. Well, and it, I, I know for uh, for people that from 1965 to 1986, uh, the value of money went up seven times. So from 86 to 210, probably another so equivalent would be he could have knocked down 14 to 15,000 for three hours of work. I don't think you're going to get that. I don't probably think not for radio. That. No, but I think let's put it this way: a thousand dollars, that's fifty-two thousand dollars a year for three hours work a weekend. I sure would have done that, yeah. uh, and that's why everybody loved doing monitor. Okay, yeah. uh, so now you probably have to pay them two thousand twenty five hundred dollars. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so now you're talking uh, five twelve thousand five hundred dollars for five hosts. Uh, you could probably put monitor on the air each weekend for fifty thousand, maybe less. Yeah, well, how how big of a staff will we need behind them now? You're going to need a staff. You're going to need. For each of those five segments, three-hour segments of Monitor, you're going to need producer, a producer, a writer, an editor, director. You're going to need uh, assignment editor. You're going to need uh, stringers. You're going to need uh, you're going to need some people. There's no question about yeah, that. And that's awful. Where would you get your stringers now? Where would you get them now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same place you got them back then from your local NBC affiliated stations. You would they're get not, them. From they're the not new, doing from, exciting things today. Oh no, no, they're not. You're absolutely right, but. News talk stations still have reporters, or they couldn't do news. You would get those news people to say, and you pay them. Now, I think they paid the news people back then. Uh, if they put together a piece for Monitor, I think they paid them like fifty to a hundred dollars per piece, okay? Which was a lot of money back That's then. That's a lot of money for it a was. stringer. Uh -huh. It was. It was. No question. That's why people wanted to do it. Uh, you could probably get somebody to do it for hundred and fifty bucks, hundred or hundred and fifty. Now, look, if NBC Radio called me today, and I'm I'm on KMJ Radio, and said we're going to pay you a hundred or hundred and fifty dollars to do a piece for us, um, would you do it? I'd say, of course, absolutely. I could get people all across the country to do that for me. I could do. Now, I'll tell you that uh, we're the CBS Radio affiliate here in Fresno. When I do a piece for CBS Radio, I believe they pay me fifty bucks. Monitor paid more back in the 1960s. So, so when you're working today, you get paid your flat fee for your normal local station, and anything you do for the network is bonus, right? Right. If the network, 
uh, calls me, as they have done periodically, and said, look, the story you're doing is of national interest. We'd like it for CBS Radio News. Great. I'll feed it to them uh, from KMJ Radio here, and they will send me a check at the end of the month for 50 bucks every time that uh, – well, they can use my piece as many times as they want. They'll pay me per piece. But that's today in 2010. Back so, then, Monitor was paying the same thing, so, so that was an immense amount of money. So are you expected to write your own copy, get yes. your own clip, oh, and, yeah. and have a finished product for what? 30 seconds or whatever they Right, use. and back then, Monitor would take a two- or three-minute piece, okay? Mm-hmm. And they would edit it down, or they'd tell you how to do it, or they'd edit it once it got back there. But they had an immense number of stringers telling them, and the key was the stringers would tell them, here's what's going on in my area. Are you interested? They would phone in and say, can you do the, you know, would you like this, this, and this? And because the show was so prestigious, uh, everybody wanted to be on it. And Monitor had no problems finding all these things that were going on. The problem was, how many would they want? And, of course, the the issue later in Monitor's life was the show was still costing a lot of money, but there were some issues with station clearances. And if you want to talk about that, we can talk about why Monitor went off the air. But near the nineteen you know mid-1970s, there were some clear issues that NBC Radio had and that eventually led, unfortunately, to, to Monitor's demise. That was my next question, Dennis. Why did it die? Radio changed. That's one thing. Um, in the 1950s and 60s, um, stations... Had, they did not have big staffs. They wa- monitor saved local stations a tremendous amount of money because it programmed the entire weekend. So you didn't have your staff have to be down there. You just needed to have somebody running the board and plugging in your local commercials when Monitor gave you the availability. But by the 1970s, AM radio was being challenged so dramatically by FM, which it had not been in Monitor's early days. FM was starting to steal the audience from AM radio. And it was becoming a serious erosion for AM. AM was doing everything it could to try to survive. And one of the things they began doing was putting disc jockeys on six-day-a-week schedules, which they had really done for a long time. But with NBC stations, they hadn't had to do that. The, The local stations began desperately trying to seek ways to make more money. When you carry a network show, the network compensated you for the time you gave up for the uh, for the broadcast. So, for example, NBC Radio on Monitor would pay local stations uh, to carry the show because NBC was getting money from commercial advertisers. They wanted the local stations to be compensated, and of course, they gave the stations a few commercial cutaways. Well, stations be- began deciding in in some major markets that they could make more money by not carrying all of Monitor's hours, instead running local shows, local disc jockey shows putting their own commercials in, more local commercials than they could put in with Monitor. And that began seeping from some big market stations downward to smaller stations. The first the first problem that Monitor had started in the early 1970s uh, when some big stations began not clearing or putting Monitor on the air. Well, that meant NBC had to reduce its advertising rates because they could no longer guarantee the advertisers that they were going to be heard in those markets. Uh, and by 1974, it was a serious, serious issue. Uh, Monitor was heard at the very end by about 130 radio stations across the country from its high of 220, 230 stations in the mid-1960s. Uh, a significant number of NBC affiliates were no longer carrying Monitor. So advertising had to be reduced, the rate of advertising. And what really killed Monitor was an amazingly bad decision by a, a gentleman by the name of Jack Thayer, uh, who became president of NBC Radio in 1974. And I have a, a chapter in my book. It's called The Lunch 
mm-hmm. that killed Monitor. It was a lunch that the new president of NBC Radio had with a friend of his who said, you know, your network lines, you're not using them during the week. In other words, there was no NBC programming virtually at that point except Monitor on the weekend. And Thayer said, well, what can I put on there? Why don't you do an all-news thing? Do it 24-7. Now, you have to – people who are so used to satellite programming now, you have to understand that until the mid-1970s, the way that television and radio stations received a signal from the network in New York was on a landline, a telephone line, or a slightly higher quality line. Literally, it was taken down a telephone line from 30 Rockefeller uh, Plaza all across the country. There was only one of those lines. That means that if you had programming on there, you couldn't put anything else on there. One thing at a time. Well, if you did all news, you could not do monitor on the weekends. And so in 1974, late 74, in a disastrously bad decision, Jack Sayer, without consulting the NBC radio affiliates, remember that 130 stations were still carrying monitor. He did not consult one of them. He said, monitor is going to end we're going to put on an all-news operation. That stunned virtually everybody in broadcasting at that point. Uh, they had not consulted the NBC radio affiliates board. They hadn't done any research with the local stations. So Monitor left the air in January of 1975, and the news operation called the News and Information Service took air a few months later. It was a disastrous mistake, a disastrous failure at its height the News and Information Service was only on 30 stations. Only 30 NBC affiliates ever carried it. It ended after a year and a half or two years and destroyed the NBC radio network. It was gone at that point. Um, So when you say, why did Monitor end? It ended primarily because of a bad decision by the president of NBC radio without consulting NBC's affiliates. So it didn't die, it was murdered. I think that's right. And I was very, I, I have to tell you, I nearly called him in the book Thayer the Slayer, but I didn't. <laughs> I pulled my punches because I thought, well, people might think that's a cheap shot. Uh, yeah, it was a wrong decision. Because even today, as we come back, how AM radio has changed in the last 20 years, stations that were not carrying network programming are all carrying network programming now. When talk shows are put on talk radio stations, they're all syndicated shows. They're all mm-hmm. network shows. Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, those are not local people. Those are people who broadcast from a studio all to stations across the country. So the, my, what I'm saying is stations now would are more likely to accept network programming than they were 30 years ago. So do I think Monitor would work now? Without a shadow of a doubt, I think it would work now. But you st- NBC Radio no longer exists, and so you'd have to have a network willing to gamble, and it would be a gamble when you first put it up, that there would be an audience. I believe there would be an audience because when you listen to radio now across the country on weekends, I mean, I'll be straight. Don't we all think, oh, my gosh, there's nothing on radio? <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Pretty yeah. grim. Monitor was not that at all. And I invite people to listen to the audio on the website and tell me if that's not the most exciting radio show they've ever heard. And wouldn't they listen? Wouldn't they like to hear that on weekends sure. again? I sure would. I, I hope you get a ton of visitors, a ton of visitors at monitorbeacon.com. Net. The well, audio pieces are very easy to find because they're labeled, <laughs> which I love. I didn't have to go hunting for anything. Um, and I, the link to 
ways that you can buy Dennis's book is up there as well. Well, that, that, yeah, thank you so much for saying that, Patricia, but believe me, I'm not trying to sell books. Well, my, my interest in this has always been, and Walden knows this from all these years, yep. I wanted to keep the memory of this broadcast alive because people growing up now since the 1970s have no idea of what we lost when network radio died and when monitor died, they think of network, they think of radio now as blowtorch talk show. True. That's not what radio is or was. I love that term, blowtorch. Well, you know what? Monty Hall had a great line for me. He was one of the monitor hosts. Of course, we remember Monty from Last, Let's Make a Deal. Monty talked with me about monitor, and he put it beautifully, and I quoted him in the book. What's on radio now is nothing more than angry nonsense. I like that. That's a great comment. I don't care whether it's conservative or liberal. It's just anger. Yeah. That's not what Monitor was all about. And if you listen to this, you'll say, why can't we do that today? Why does radio have to be so polarizing? Mm-hmm. And that's really what's happened to radio now. And when I, the proudest thing I've done in my career, and I've been in broadcasting for 35 years, and I'm just going to be very straight, the book, not because it, it, sold, it sold several thousand copies. Yes, I'm proud of that. But I, the fact that this book is in a lot of libraries around the country, university libraries. That's the most important thing to me. And I have to tell you, one of the proudest things that uh, uh, has come out of all this is that I've donated all of my audio to the Peabody Awards people at the University of Georgia, and they have set up a monitor collection at the University of Georgia under the Peabody Awards because of this broadcast. And I, I was happy to donate all of my audio to them. That's the proudest part of what we've done here. That is so terrific. And it's like, I know I keep um, mentioning repeatedly how people can buy the book. Where else are they going to learn about Monitor? Well, it's this book, and that's why I wrote it, because I was surprised nobody had done this. I thought it was such a no-brainer that this show that had such a great impact on America, on the United States, uh, should be the topic of a a book, and nobody did it. And so when I started writing it, I said, wow. I got more and more in. I didn't know whether I could even do it. I didn't know if I'd be able to talk to enough people to put it together. But it all came together. And keeping the memory of this broadcast alive is the proudest thing I've done. Let me, uh, believe me, I, I love this broadcast. And I think anybody listening to us right now across this country will love it if they hear it. Let me bring on a good friend of Dennis and I who definitely remember Monitor, who put Dennis and I together, what, five years ago. Jim, what's some of your memories? Jim Taylor talking to a, a monitor. Hello, Dennis. And hello, hello, Jim. How are you on this Saturday night? I'm doing wonderfully. Well, memories are many. Uh, first of all, monitor was, as, a, as, as I told Dennis many years ago when I was a child, the first thing that intrigued me was, of course, the beacon. Hearing that noise at five or six, you know, was just intriguing to me because I'd never heard anything like that. I remember... I began to listen to the show. My parents would listen to it in the car as we drove. And I learned, you know, as I became more aware of current events, I learned things on Monitor. I learned, well, I could not really read a map good. I knew geography from listening to Monitor. They had a feature in the early 60s called Ring Around the World. Yes. Their correspondents of NBC News would report on different events in their area of expertise. And by learning of, say, 
Argentina or Chile or uh, Venezuela or Brazil with, say, Wilson Hall or one of their, was their Latin American correspondent. I might learn about Europe and the country from people like Kenneth Bernstein in London and other people, Irving R. Levine in Rome and uh, people like that. And I learned about Asia from people like James Robinson in Tokyo. So I learned geography from Monitor. I learned entertainment from Monitor because, you know, most of us grew up listening to rock and roll and stuff. But through Monitor, I got to hear things like some of the performers like Robert Goulet. I got to hear, because they played music on Monitor. I got, it was on Monitor, I first heard My Kind of Town by Frank Sinatra in 1964. That was on Monitor. I, and I learned and I got to hear some of the great comedians like uh, Jonathan Winters and, of course, Nichols and May and, and Ethel and Albert, uh, who had done earlier radio. Even as, as Patricia knows, as a big Fibber McGee and Molly fan, they were even on Monitor for a few years, doing five-minute skits at the end of their career. And so you got a wide spectrum of that. You got to, uh, I always enjoyed the monitor tips, you know, whether it dealt with cleaning or grooming or driving or whatever. And, of course, the hosts were just phenomenal, people like David Wayne and Barry Nelson and Gene Rayburn and Frank Blair. Sunday nights were always enjoyable to me because when Frank Blair was hosting it at the 9 o'clock Eastern time hour, the last hour on Sunday night, he would do a review or wrap-up of the week's news. And when you're in school, you might not always be able to keep up with news during the week, but that summation he did on Sunday night was a great way to learn about what had happened in the world that week in short, short vignettes. So many things. And uh, I had friends growing to school who liked the show so much they would even give up their rock and roll on the weekends to listen to Monitor. Not many shows you could say that about. Yeah, I had a lot of people uh, contact us through the website, uh, Jim and Patricia and Walden, about that very thing that kids who had gone away to school, uh, different locations in the country, were comforted by being able to listen to Monitor as they had when they were in their hometowns. And it was really a remarkable thing to, to have all these folks with the same types of memories uh, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. One of the most unifying things in the United States, literally at that time, was NBC Radio's Monitor. And all of us who grew up never forgot it. became a very important part of our lives. Uh, and I think that's a remarkable thing to say of any broadcast. There, there are certainly single broadcasts that you can point to uh, during traumatic events uh, that certainly people will remember. You know, the, the War of the Worlds with Orson Welles. Back in 19, certainly a dramatic broadcast in 1938. But when you have a series, um, a show like this that goes on for 20 years, hour after hour each weekend, and literally binds the country together during that time, I think that's remarkable. Well, it was a common experience that, Jim, you had where you were, I had out here in California. So many people that we've talked to have had all over the country. One of the rites of passages of growing up, and we always thought it would be, I always thought it was going to be there, didn't you, Jim? Yes, I, I just had, well, I, I began to worry in the early 70s when stations were dropping it, and because it was just, it had been such a part of our lives for so long. I tell you, when it really hit me hard, it was on a Saturday night in the winter of 1972. I was dialing the radio dial around, and our, our, our O&O station in Chicago, WMAQ, had dropped it on AM in favor of local disc jockeys. They put it on FM. So I began searching around the dial to try to find Monitor, and I used to be able to hear it on stations like W, 
BAP in Fort Worth, WRVA Richmond, WOAI San Antonio, uh, let's see, uh, WSB Atlanta. There were a number of stations where you could hear monitor, and increasingly these stations were playing local programming. Monitor was on, but it was on very weak stations. The big stations were all dropping. And what really added insult, when it really hit me hard, also was in 1973, we were on a vacation, my mother and I. We were visiting my brother in Oklahoma, and it was, an, and it was a local country music station. It was an NBC affiliate that played country music. And on Saturday morning, we heard NBC Monitor News on the Hour, introduced by Gene Rayburn with the beacon and all. And, of course, after the news, the station cut away from the network for their regular country music local programming. And I was thinking at the time that it's still on the air and no one's getting to hear it. Anyone hearing his voice and hearing the beacon just added to the frustration. Yeah, I think it was very difficult at the end uh, to to listen because those of us who had grown up with it and grown older with it knew that times were changing. I had already I had written letters to NBC. I had noticed some format changes. I had noticed some of that, and even at that point, I, I was in college and said, "Oh boy, something's happening here." And you know, I, I got some very nice letters back from NBC Radio. Yes, we're making some changes, but we hope that we can keep the monitor service on the air. But it was clear that there were some big troubles out there because radio in general was changing so dramatically at that point. And, uh, but I have to tell you, this is how emotional Monitor was um, for me. Uh, when Monitor left the air that last Sunday, uh, January 26, 1975, I literally, and I will tell you I was uh, in my mid-20s, I cried. I had tears in my eyes because I had grown up listening to that broadcast it was an important part of my life that got me a career that I am still in. That's how emotional it was for me when that show left the air. You know, when it really I thought I'd lost one of my best friends. When it really hits you hard is when you listen to that last few minutes, although he sang it several times that weekend, when, when John Bartholomew Tucker, who was the last host on Monitor, introduces Sammy Kahn, and he sings his special version of It's Been a Long, Long Time, saying goodbye to Monitor. And when you hear it that last time, just before the beacon is heard for the last time, I tell you, it really hits you hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, John Bartholomew Tucker says, you know, we hope, we hope we've, you know, all his, his farewell. And when he says it's the last time you will hear this sound, it just, you know, because you, you knew nothing was going to replace it. You, it used to be when radio shows went off the air in the Golden Age, if a detective show went off the air, there'd be another detective show to replace it, or a Western or something. When, By the 70s and 60s, when network shows were canceled, they just gave the time back to local stations and nothing replaced it. What I'd like to talk about with Dennis now is how in the world the monitor, Dennis, handle crisis situations. I'm thinking the JFK assassination, the Martin Luther King assassination, where with the remote, did they have a mechanism that they would just dump all the programming? Or with the spur of the situation, how did they handle crisis situations? The MLK assassination was not uh, on the weekend, okay. it was during the week. But I can tell you, yes, on the Kennedy assassination, Monitor did not air that weekend. NBC, in fact, I, it's, it's kind of it's fascinating uh, what the staff members remember. It was such a shocking weekend, November 22nd, 1963, for all of us. It was a Friday afternoon, and uh, the Monitor staffers uh, had just come back, many of them, from lunch. I, I interviewed them uh, for the book. And when they got back, they 
somebody, uh, several people, it had already happened. The assassination had happened during the lunch hour in New York. And they went back and people told them, well, the president's been shot and, and killed. Everybody, nobody believed it. Nobody in the world believed that. Thought it was some sort of grotesque joke. It was not, unfortunately. They threw out all the programming. I mean, Monitor was set to go that weekend. And they went to continuous coverage. And Jim knows this very well because he has kindly sent me uh, some some great material from a Sunday night special that Charles Garment wrote uh, put together. But Monitor did not air that weekend. NBC Radio was in continuous coverage from around the country uh, on the assassination with their correspondents, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a more typical, and that, that was cataclysmic, of course, right. cataclysmic. A more typical reaction in 1962, the year before, Sunday night, monitors, uh, September 30th. I just happened to know that date. Uh, it was the night that the University of Mississippi was about to be integrated by James Meredith, first black man to go to the University of Mississippi. Riots broke out at the university and in the town. Frank McGee was hosting, the great Frank McGee was the Sunday night monitor host at that point. He had replaced Dave Garraway the year before. And uh, Bud Drake was the producer of that Sunday night segment. Frank McGee comes in just before 7 o'clock Eastern Time. The segment uh, went from 7 to 10, Sunday night monitor. Frank said, throw everything out. We got it. We got to cover this. Monitor through every bit of resource into that story. They had three or four correspondents at the university broadcasting live out of there as these riots were taking place, as events unfolded moment by moment. They had correspondents in New York and Washington talking about you know, what's happening, how, how is the president reacting, what's going on here. That show was such a classic, so well done, all on the fly, just thrown together as it went on the air. The New York Times quoted NBC Monitor the next day because they didn't have people there. AP and UPI were quoting NBC Monitor throughout the evening. That, uh, that broadcast won a Peabody Award as the best news broadcast of the year, etc. That's how Monitor reacted. When something happened, they could throw every resource in the world into it. I very well remember the weekend, that horrible weekend five years later when uh, Robert Kennedy's body, Jim, you'll remember this, we've talked about it, was being brought back to Arlington Cemetery after the assassination out here in, in California. Um, and Monitor, of course, devoted much of its weekend to uh, the life and legacy of Mr. Kennedy. And I remember them following the train, having live reports, the train being slowed down on its, on its trip to Arlington up the East Coast because so many people, hundreds of thousands of people were along the tracks wa wanting to see it. The train couldn't move very fast. And I remember Joe Garagiola was a Saturday afternoon monitor host uh, as they were doing live reports every, every hour, uh, several significant reports on, on, on Mr. Kennedy. And at one point, and everybody knows Joe Garagiola, who is a great guy, by the way, whom I've had the privilege of meeting and talking with, as the great sports guy for NBC, radio and television, baseball announcer, former baseball player. Joe Garagiola was a host on monitor for a number of years. Joe Garagiola breaking down and weeping on the air after hearing a report as this procession is trying to make its way to Arlington Cemetery. That's how emotional that weekend was. But uh, Monitor had this great capability, being on the air all the time, of interrupting itself whenever it needed to. And Jim, I don't think any show ever did it any better than that. But another example I would like to cite, which, which Patricia, you can hear on the web, and all of you can hear on the website even, was the day of Saturday, March 29, 1969. Oh, yes. 
the day after Dwight, uh, former President Eisenhower died. Yes. That's a magnificent show. Gene Rayburn hosting that Saturday morning broadcast uh, a day or two after uh, Mr. Eisenhower, the former president, passed away. And Monitor not only is going live to various services, uh, interrupting themselves essentially, but they put together a number of wonderful commemorations, reports on, uh, on President Eisenhower. And Gene Rayburn, who is known for his genial, you know, he's a jokester, he was a marvelous uh, game show host, Gene Rayburn, I think uh, you will agree with me, Jim, pulls this off so wonderfully with so much empathy, you're thinking he's a news guy. Gene Rayburn was magnificent that day, absolutely magnificent. There were reminiscences, whether, for example, uh, uh, Bob Considine did a nice tribute, so did... uh, uh, Kyle Rote did a piece on uh, the president and his sports background. About his years at West Point. Yeah, yep. And uh, you also had, uh, you know, the news reports from the... From the uh, Capitol, when when uh, Peter Hackus and Carl Stern were covering the arrival of the casket at the cathedral, which was very moving, and it was just you know they could adjust to any situation. I can remember in 1965 listening to Monitor on a Sunday afternoon, and Joe Garagiola was a temporary host on Sunday afternoon after James Daly had left, just before he went down to broadcast with the Yankees for spring training, and I was listening to him, and he broke into a record to announce the shooting of Malcolm X, and they did reports on that. So, And, of course, the Sunday of the moon landing, I don't remember. Yeah, I guess Monitor would have been, the sequences would have been interrupted for the uh, moon landing and later the moon walk on Sunday night. I haven't heard any recordings from that Sunday, but I'm sure they're around someplace. Yeah, I think the thing about Monitor, Monitor, you had to listen to Monitor, and because you, you knew you were going to be kept in instantaneous touch with anything going on in the world. It was that exciting a show. Yeah, they had it all laid out. They had a script, and they were going to go this and this and this. But as Jim says, when things happened, you knew that NBC Monitor would cover it better than anybody else because that's what they were there for all weekend long. Uh, I can remember President Nixon's first trip uh, overseas in 1969 to uh, to Belgium after he'd been elected. Monitor was all over that uh, on the president. They did uh, the entire weekend uh, uh, reports from around this country, uh, people reacting to the president's visit, the importance of it, reports out of Belgium where he landed. And Henry Morgan was hosting the Sunday afternoon monitor at that point. And they kept going back, 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 live, live, live to Europe. It was that kind of exciting show. You never knew what was going to go on in the weekend world, but if it happened, Monitor would be there. If it was important or interesting, it wasn't never boring, but you always learned something. That, that was the great thing about Monitor, Jim. You always learned something every weekend you never knew before. It was also an and also there were there were the the, the little things. There was uh, you mentioned in the book the uh, report on the. Uh, uh, the, the, the summer, I think it was in the summer of 65, the, the report on the sight-impaired children. Was it a swimming cl- a camp or a swimming class or something on that? Or it's, you know, It wasn't necessarily big, but sometimes it could be the small events. That's exactly right. Interesting, informative, entertaining, quirky, you know, strange sounds, strange people, strange places. It was really a fun show. It's not often that you can say something is really educational and a lot of fun. Uh, I think we'd all agree there, you know, there are really fine programs on the air on television that are really educational, but they're not fun. They're not, they're not entertaining. Monitor was both of it. Monitor was both of it. If you tuned into a, a weekend monitor, uh, you would be laughing 
you'd be saying, God, I didn't know that. I, I never heard that. That's incredible. It was that type of show. I think the most exciting show in the history of radio really was. It was an incredible broadcast. Well, it was also fun, you know, uh, for example, there was a, there's a great hour you have from 1964 where you learn about a school in Connecticut where children could do what they wanted. They, it was, it was a, one of those weird schools, sort of fit the image of the mid-60s, they could go to, they could study if they wanted to, or not study if they didn't want to, and the superintendent had no rules about it. When I heard the recording, I thought, why would a parent send their school, send their children to a school like that? Because it didn't, you know, it, <coughs> excuse me, it didn't make sense that they would pay to send their children to a school, but yet it was available for them, and and the superintendent had a live and let live attitude. Well, you know that hour you're talking about, it's uh, Barry Nelson hosting uh, Monitor 64. It's really typical of what Monitor was doing in the 1960s, taking you everywhere in that hour. That report you're talking about uh, led off the hour, and then they had two reports from the vice presidential campaign trail, uh, reports uh, that had just been sent in from uh, the two campaigners. They had some Monitor tips. Al Cap, who was the little Abner cartoonist, and he was a Monitor commentator, uh, he was on. They had Mel Ellen doing sports. Mike Nichols and Elaine May were doing uh, a comedy routine. An interview with Robert Vaughn from The Man from Uncle. All of that in one hour. What an incredible hour that was. And that's what Monitor was all about, Patricia. And uh, it was painless education. Education and fun and a sense of excitement because you knew you were tied in to millions of other people who were listening at the same time all across the country and tied into really this magical enterprise that, wow, I am on top of everything going on on the weekend world. I mean, I know what's going on. Not just news, though. It was all of that. And uh, it was was one of those time capsules where you look back and say, how in the world did NBC ever put it on the air? How did it stay on the air that long? And why isn't it on the air now? Because it would work. It would work. Would it have worked in the golden age of radio, for example, during World War II? How would it have fared? That's really an interesting question that nobody's ever asked me, and I'm going to reflect on it in this way. It wasn't needed in World War II because there was, I mean, I don't want to say wasn't needed. It wasn't thought of during World War II because network radio was still paramount and hadn't been poached upon by television. And so the traditional formats, the comedy, variety, mystery, drama, worked very well during the war. And there was no, nobody ever thought about doing a monitor type thing, but could it have worked during the war? Sure, it could have, but the time wasn't right for it because network radio was still vibrant, alive, everybody listened to it. It was only in desperation. And I think the best way to put what Pat Weaver did is it was uh, inspiration fueled by desperation. Network radio clearly wasn't working in 1955, clearly was dying, clearly was on its last legs. It was just a matter of when those legs would run out. And that's when Weaver came together with it. Yes, it could have worked, but having said that, it would have been a different monitor because many of the monitor hosts came from television, and so they would not have had that background it would have been a different show. It wouldn't have had the impact. It wouldn't have had the impact because there were still giants all around it. Does that make sense? Jack Benny was sure. still doing a 40 rating. Burns and Allen, Fibber McGee and Molly, Bergen and McCarthy, Bob Hope. So you put a monitor in there, it 
it wouldn't have had the impact. Whereas in 1955, they were all on their backs. Network mm-hmm. radio had nothing left virtually. That Essentially, had the answer is no. It would not have worked. I well. think Monitor was a creature. It came around at exactly the right time for network radio. Should still be around. It is still the right time for network radio. Mm-hmm. But no, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked it, in 45. It was born right, and it never should have died. You know, I can see, I can see why Thayer was concerned about it. But what you should have done, what he and always 2020 hindsight's always 2020. If you wanted to do an all news thing, do it during the week, and leave Monitor alone, or cut Monitor back. The most, the most uh, lucrative time for Monitor in terms of advertising always was the Saturday morning four hours or three hours, because. Stations were not preempting for other things, such as sports in the afternoons, et cetera, et cetera. It was always loaded with advertising, always, up until the very end. So you could still hold monitor, put monitor on the air on Saturday morning and afternoon, I think, and Sunday afternoon. Should still be on the air at this point. Uh, nighttime radio changed. You probably weren't going to be able to keep it there. But yeah, um, NBC could have cut it back, and I think the show would still be on the air. I really do. There still was enough- a need for it. I hope enough people are listening tonight, people who can make a difference, and do it again. Well, we I need agree. to do it again. But, you know, again, the network environment has changed, Patricia, because CBS Radio is a news on the hour now and very little more. NBC's gone. Mutual's gone. ABC's been bought by another company. So the, there isn't a major corporate backer who's in broadcasting, probably, who could do it other than CBS, and CBS has never really shown that type of originality or creativity. CBS was always the most traditional of the networks uh, until the very end. I think it took an NBC, it took a Pat Weaver, it took a visionary to put this together. Again, I point out Weaver put together Today, Tonight, uh, the home show, Spectaculars. This was not an ordinary programmer. This was a man who thought so far out of the box that nobody else had ever thought of it before, essentially. A once in a, a millennium type guy, if you will. Yeah. Brilliant guy. He and left a template. He did. He did. And again, I, I, I come back to the idea that uh, if you listen to your radio on weekends, as I do, I am listen to radio all over the country. I'm, I travel a lot. Um, I think there's a need for monitor. I don't think local radio is overwhelmingly dynamic on weekends. I just say that. <laughs> Monitor was a dynamic show mm-hmm. that could work today with the hosts, you know, modern day hosts, uh, some of the same types of people who were there. You bet it could work. I, I bet you'd listen. I know I would. I would listen in a heartbeat. I am a radio oriented person. Where can people find you? Where can people find the book? Where can people find information about Monitor? Well, you are so kind to ask me that question. Okay, again, the website, <laughs> all of it free of charge. No, believe me, folks, I'm not in this for money. I say that every year. It's true. Monitor Beacon, M-O-N-I-T-O-R-B-E-A-C-O-N dot net. And as we've been on the air for these couple of hours, I have been on the website, and I've refreshed a number of times. I am, I am pleased to say, as always, your radio network always generates a lot of hits for the website. That means people are listening to you. And that's wonderful. Uh, by the way, I never would have guessed, uh, I, as I said when we put this website on the air 10 years ago, I figured out 30 people a year will, will uh, plug into this. We now have nearly 200, more than 214,000 people who have come to this website. It astounds me for a show that's you, been on the air for 30 visits. years. These are not visits. These are hits that you're actually talking about now. That's, 
That's right. It, which is remarkable. It's remarkable for a show that's been off the air for 30 years. Absolutely. Uh, the book is called Monitor Take Two. You can go on barnesandnoble.com, uh, borders.com, uh, and order it. Uh, it is available. Believe me. Uh, just type in uh, Dennis Hart Monitor Take Two. Uh, it, uh, it is there. Um, it's at a lot of university libraries across the country. If you have a local university library, you can ask them if they've got it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fun book. I had the time of my life writing it, and I always have the time of my life talking about Monitor. I'll never get tired of talking about Monitor this year, next year, or 10 years from now, Patricia and Walden and Jim. Okay? Just in case we can have you back, maybe? I don't think you have to invite me too often. I'll be there. <laughs> I love doing this. I hope you had a good time. I had a wonderful time. I had a great time reading the book. It really is extremely well done. I can't believe how much information you packed in here. This is not big print book either. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a while you'll get somebody who says, oh, yes, I did a 200-page book, and you look at it, and it's in billboard type. I know? have to tell you, I, I had the time of my life writing the book. I truly did. To this day, I don't know how I quite did it because while I was writing this book, I was working full-time in broadcasting and part-time teaching at a university. I have no idea how I did this. But somehow I did, and well, uh, a magnificent person with, with monitor. <laughs> I mean, you've learned how to not sleep. Yes, yes. No, yes. how not to sleep. <laughs> but I truly invite people to, to check out the website and and listen to the audio of Monitor, and see for yourself. Uh, lots of audio on there. Lots of information about the broadcast. Many pictures, including pictures from the reunion that uh, I helped put together in 2004. And see for yourself. Decide for yourself whether what we've been saying tonight is a whole lot of hokum, or whether honestly you don't think, wow, what a great show, how did they do that, and why isn't it on the air today? I wish it were on the air today. To this day, to this moment, I miss Monitor, and Jim and I have talked about this. Patricia, when it comes up to uh, 12 o'clock every Saturday afternoon here, 3 o'clock in the East, I still think I ought to be listening to Ed McMahon hosting Saturday Afternoon Monitor. I think about that. I, for all those years that I tuned in, I miss it. I miss Gene Rayburn on Saturday mornings. I made it a part of my life, as so many people did. I, I made it appointment radio, and there isn't a lot of appointment radio anymore in the United States. There just isn't. Well, it is. It, it's a heart hurt that the show isn't with us any longer. But, truly, um, Dennis's website is a treat. To it, It's just a treat. Thank you. It gives you enough information about the show that you're going to feel sad that it's not here. Well, when you visit the site, too, and you hear the different eras of Monitor, you hear how the show, you hear, you, you get to hear the air, you get to hear an excerpt from the first day. You get to hear uh, the, the era when there were two communicators hosting in 1959, several hours of that. And you get to hear various hosts through the 1960s, everyone from Frank McGee to Mel Allen to... Barry Nelson to Gene Rayburn to Jim Jim Lowe, and you get to hear the last full weekend in its entirety, and you and in 1975, and you get to hear some of the Monitor bloopers and some of the uh, little short short vignettes. There's even a section that we sent him of Monitor promos that on other NBC shows through that were done. So you get a wide variety of sound. And you won't, you won't be, those of you who visit will not be disappointed, I, I guarantee it. You know, as, uh, as you've been talking, Jim, I've just been checking my email. I gave out the email address 
um, a few, oh, about an hour ago. And we've gotten some emails from listeners here, uh, including our good friend Don Spuler down in Southern California, who uh, said, uh, it, and he pointed out that it was KFI in Los Angeles that began some of the problems with uh, the clearance of Monitor in the late 1960s, putting it on the air, and he's absolutely right. And we've also gotten uh, an email from a good friend of ours in Louisiana who comments on Teddy Thurman covering earthquakes for us during, the pro- <laughs> during this broadcast. There was a, a minor earthquake while we were on the air. I've, I've checked that one out. It was a 1.2 on the Richter scale earthquake in Southern California, uh, Patricia, as we were on the air. Teddy talks about that. I'm such a dynamite person here. <laughs> I, have a, I, have a, I have a friend who was a teenager or a young child in the 50s. He was about 10 in 19, or about 12 in 1955. And hearing Miss Monitor inspired him to take an interest. He, had, he went into other venue, venues, but at first he actually wanted to get into weather, meteorology and weather forecasting in part because of hearing Teddy doing those, uh, those weather forecasts. Yeah, I should also tell you, uh, Teddy was very, uh, Teddy Thurman, Miss Monitor, was very, um, she she wasn't blowing her own horn here tonight, but her voice did become one of the most recognizable voices in the world because of uh, Miss Monitor. She is still asked to do that at parties to this day, and that was 50 years ago uh, when she did that. And she also, uh, many parodies were made of her because she became so famous. Our local radio stations would do their own Miss Monitor versions or, or uh, you know, have a little bit of fun with her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, she also did a, a movie trailer for a Dean Martin movie uh, where she was Miss Monitor in the movie trailer. And so that particular part of Monitor became a very big part of popular culture. Uh, in fact, to show you how big a deal Monitor was in terms of our pop culture, Patricia, I don't know if, you, if we got into that or if you even want to go in there, but there is a certain men's magazine called Playboy Magazine which is the, was the arbiter and still is, a, to some extent, of all things that are hot and heavy with male popular culture. There's a classic cartoon in uh, Playboy, full-page cartoon, in the late 1950s, early 60s, about a woman on the telephone with her girlfriend. And she said uh, this was when Monitor was on the air from Friday night until Sunday night. And this, in this cartoon, in Playboy magazine, which I have in my collection here, from my research here, only research, she says... And, you know, I was out with this guy, and he came over to my house, and then he said he just wanted to listen to the end of this radio program that we were listening to. Ever heard of a thing called Monitor? The idea being the guy wanted to stay for two days listening to Monitor. Mm-hmm. That's how big Monitor was in pop culture. And, of course, also Buddy Rich uh, has an album called Big Swing Face, which came out in 1967. On his album, he has a full cut of something called the Monitor Theme. It is indeed a takeoff on the NBC Radio Monitor Theme, and Buddy Rich has it in his album. Wow. So, I mean, that, that had a tremendous impact. Aside from all the local radio stations, and many of them did this, who came up with Monitor-type formats because of the success of NBC's Monitor, uh, it really permeated the culture. And I can well remember Johnny Carson on Tonight um, in the mid-1960s uh, joking about how uh, he had nothing going that weekend, but Ed McMahon, his second banana, the, the announcer, had Monitor and all these other things going, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, uh, Gene Rayburn would mention Monitor on the match game, that uh, he was going to be on Monitor that weekend, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty big deal, pretty big deal for those of us growing up in the 50s and 60s. And uh, I, really feel, I really feel thankful that I 
I grew up and was able to hear monitor and have it influence me. 1959, I, I can remember my parents were watching TV, and Jimmy Rogers, the second Jimmy Rogers, who had the kits like Honeycomb and Kisses Sweeter Than Wine, etc., had his own short live summer variety show at half hour in 1959. I think it was on Tuesday nights. He even promoted Monitor on his NBC show. I heard The Beacon one time, and he talked about what a great show it was to listen to on the weekend. So it even got some references on NBC television. Uh, Lindsey Nelson was once a host on uh, Monitor, and he was voice of the New York Mets at the time. He was hosting Monitor, great sportscaster. And uh, the Mets were at a doubleheader one day at uh, Shea Stadium. This was back in the early 60s, and... He was supposed to be the host of Sunday Night Monitor from 7 to 10 as a guest host. Well, the doubleheader went long. The Mets went into extra innings. So on the air, on the Mets radio network, which had nothing whatever to do with NBC's radio network, Lindsay said, uh, you're going to have to tell my friends at Monitor, I'll be there as soon as the game's over. <laughs> so he said that on the, the Mets broadcast. I thought that was kind of cool. Of course, Mel Allen was a Saturday morning host for a number of years while he was the voice of the New York Yankees. He would do monitorings on Saturday morning and then go out to Yankee Stadium and do the games. I mean, virtually anybody who was, almost everybody who was uh, a, a major player at NBC in television or radio hosted monitor at one point or another, with the exception of Bob Hope and Johnny Carson, and they were guests. Uh, Hope was often on monitor, often on monitor. And uh, uh, Johnny uh, did a memorable interview with Ed McMahon uh, on Saturday Afternoon Monitor uh, at one point. So almost everybody who was uh, a major player in television at NBC did monitor. Well, Jim and Dennis, I think if you guys are up to it, we'll do something next year. Sure. I'm up to it right now. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's just plan on it. What do you say? I promise. Actual day, too, by the way, June 12th. This is the actual date of Monitor's first broadcast. This is. This is. This is the 55th anniversary of Monitor's debut on NBC wow. Radio right here. We're here for it. Well, I want to thank both you guys for being on with us. And uh, as our outgoing, we're going to put a little bit of Monitor's anniversary show. And that way uh, people get to hear a little bit of that. Very good. Very good. And I just want to thank everybody on this line right now for the opportunity for me to come on and join you tonight. I've always had fun with this, and uh, I, I could do this forever. And Patricia, uh, Walden, Jim, I hope we'll, we'll do it again next year. And it has been a joy to talk with you. Seriously. Well, I certainly hope you're serious. <laughs> it's been I fun mean, for me. It's been fun for me. That was not a casual comment. <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I want to congratulate you folks on, on your radio network. And again, I've been on the website. I've just refreshed it again while we're talking. A, you, literally dozens of people tonight have plugged in to this website <laughs> since we started talking. And that's because you guys have listeners out there. Thank you so much. And I will make the close. When sent, uh, so as a result of Dennis's son, I've been able to make a few monitor tapes for some friends of mine. Everybody I played an hour or two, or sent an hour or two, uh, people who don't remember monitor from the 60s or 50s especially, everybody's liked it. I've never heard a negative comment from any of the people, and I've sent it to about six people, maybe. Who, uh, who liked the show and said, why can't it be done today? I've never heard a negative comment, so that shows what a great show it was. And I just want to thank uh, Don Spuler and Louis Castang uh, for emailing me during this broadcast, during our broadcast tonight. They uh, have been sending me comments here about Monitor, and uh, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Sure thing, Dennis. Good night, Jim. Good night, Walden. Good, Good night, night, Patricia. Hey, everybody. Good night, Dennis. And there we go. 
That was really nice. That was super. Well, I think Patricia and I are going to take a little bit of a monitor break. We're going to play a highlight package for monitor for his anniversary show. And then we'll be back to play Fun and Game with Patricia. In fact, oh, Pat- does she have games for tonight? Oh, and you know what? Uh, I'm busy with new callers. Well, you know, when are going to come on with trivia? They were calling during the interview. <laughs> That's great. Well, we have uh, Comic Strip is our theme for tonight. And all of my trivia questions have to do with comic strips. And that's going to be good. So give Patricia and I a little break. And here, why don't you listen a little bit of Day Galloway doing monitor. Here we go. Good evening there. This is Monitor Dave Garraway here. Before I introduce the boys in the back room, let us check in briefly at the bandstand of the Knickerbocker House, one of Manhattan's brighter nightclubs. We were afraid a little earlier that this remote would be canceled on us. Seems there was some difficulty in the club's parking lot. The fender was scratched on a car owned by a prominent businessman in town, a fellow named James C. Patrol. But it's all straightened out now, apparently. No hard feelings. So here we go to the bandstand at Knickerbocker House. Hit it, boys. Dixieland, the happy music. <laughs> Some friends stopping by during the evening, too. From down Pennsylvania Avenue Way, we have Senator Henry M. Jackson and Supreme Court Justice William O. Douglas. Duffy ain't here, but Archie is, and he'll be talking to us. David Niven and Barry Nelson have the regulars, Don Russell and Bob and Ray, and this monitor. Throw in a few remote pickups, and you begin to feel the scope of this thing. That's monitor, always going places and doing things. The only radio program on the air today that bears the seal of acceptance of True Confessions magazine. We of WJBO are very happy to send our congratulations to Monitor and its staff on this, the Monitor first anniversary. We think Monitor is the best thing that has happened in radio for several years. And I know that Monitor listeners in the Baton Rouge area want me to express their appreciation to NBC for this fine program. Well, thank you now, Mr. Maddox. You're very kind. Has it really been a year since Monitor first went on the air? Twelve whole months? 52 whole Sunday nights. What is the significance of all this? We're all a year older, of course. You see, six times 52. Good heavens, I've introduced Miss Monitor 312 times. And if the folks in Atlanta don't know what the temperature is on Sunday nights, by this time, they just don't care. (laughs) Girls, get quick home permanent. Quick gives you the newest natural look with half the waving work. Get quick. Gone by so quickly? Are we all actually a year older than we were then? 
June 12th it was, 1955. The long months of planning and work and speculation were ended. There was the proof, the card on the table. And all the people who had said, look, you guys, radio's dead. Why don't you face it? They'd all spoken their lines and gone away. And there we were, sitting in the bright new chairs of a bright new Radio Central. And Pat Weaver, the chairman of the board, at the time president of NBC, was telling the country, and incidentally the communicators, what it was all about. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Monitor, our new NBC weekend radio service. This is a preview, which will be seen on television for the next hour, and it'll be heard on radio until midnight tonight, New York time. But beginning...